Tune in to the Neil Prendeville Show weekdays from 9 a.m. on Cork's Red FM. Hey, it's Killian. Join me Sundays from 10 for loads of music, a bit of chat, and my mildly interesting facts of the weekend. It's the Sunday 10 to 2 show with Killian on Cork's Red FM. Mail was saying the other day, we're now a nation of barbecue experts. We never had more choice, actually, retail-wise, particularly when shops reopen. You can get to all the, you can you can still buy barbecue stuff. For, you know, a lot of people are um, being able to get out and about and click and collect things like that. All we need now is a sizzling summer, as the mail says, because we're getting better and better on how to cook and spend time in the garden. Um, and indeed, I suppose, we've also learned a few tricks about not burning things or marinating a bit better. So bring all of that on, says you. Now, of course, there was two things that we're talking about over the weekend. One was prioritizing the jab to the under 30s because they're the ones that are mixing most and, uh, you know, unfortunately, uh, any kind of positive numbers, which are tiny now at this stage, um, thankfully, um, seem to be in the younger age groups. There was a lot of trouble over that and the public were asked for their thoughts. So that's been knocked on the head. It's as you were. But what they are talking about is extending the gap for Pfizer and Moderna, which I think is still four weeks at the moment, isn't it? They're thinking of maybe extending that longer? How long? I don't know. Would it be as long as the gap between the Astra? It could well be. But it's a front page of making the mail this morning. Extend jab gap to open up for the summer. It means that if you extend the gap between the first and the second jab, more and more people can get the first jab. So we'll see how that goes. But the daily cases are the smallest now since last year, which is absolutely great news. 269 cases yesterday uh, and unfortunately, sadly, one death uh, with 181 people being treated in hospitals and 47 of those in intensive care. Now, all of those is one too many, but believe me when I tell you, the numbers are just dropping and dropping and dropping when you look at the weekly average. And we really are you know, moving down the road with regards to the roadmap for exiting lockdown like you will see next month all construction opening um, haircuts back uh, hairdressers back certainly click and collect and maybe a little bit more than that and who knows by the end of May anyway the papers talk of it this morning and it depends on the day you pick up a newspaper or read a news story on COVID because everybody's looking for their own bit of headline this paper's trying to do the other and you know online they're trying to but so you know we need to just keep on hitting the key milestones and as Michal Martin was saying at the weekend uh, we've met the key milestones so far so on we go. Uh, the examiner this morning is saying, yeah, it, you know, certainly you won't be heading over to sunshine destinations. Well, not officially anyway, or, you know, it's not recommended in June, but the examiner is speculating that holidaying at home is absolutely, well, more than likely... <laughs> Absolutely, more than likely, possibly, maybe, uh, on the cards for the month of June as numbers continue to fall. Which means that, you know, at some stage in May, they're going to make some kind of announcement and give us a date as to whether we, when we can travel outside of the county of Cork. We deserve our freedom, as the mail puts it this morning, because of our good COVID behaviour. And they break down all of them. I'm going to drill into all of the weekly stats and, you know, the drops per county. Cork is still very, very low. In fact, that's one of the reasons why um, many people are getting kind of annoyed nationally and I was reading online at the weekend that some are saying that, you know, counties around Ireland, like in, and we'd be interested in Cork and Kerry and Waterford and Tipperary and Limerick, are being penalised very much for what's happening up in Dublin. And somebody was saying, you need to look at the counties, um, you know, around Dublin and maybe isolate them. Maybe I think it was Anne Mooney and the Sun at the weekend was speculating that numbers in those counties are higher because that way you have the meat processing factories and plants like that. And, and, and we all know of people who have 
done the right thing when it comes to people in need. And there's a lovely story making the mail today of a menswear retailer who admitted opening his doors to mourners despite the COVID-19 restrictions. Patrick Burke said that he made the decision because he was driven demented by restrictions and he didn't want to let people down who need to be dressed appropriately for funerals. So you can understand why he's doing that. They also have a photograph of what looks like completely over-the-top gatherings in the UK. I mean, have you seen the photographs coming out of Soho in London? Now, I know that photographs can be deceptive because you can't always see the physical distancing in the photograph but even so I mean they're making the most of it over there they're in the middle of a bit of a heat wave at the moment so they're all outdoors but Soho is absolutely mental I hope they'll come through all of that thousands of jobs across the Irish Irish aviation industry are now under threat we can understand that because they're doing absolutely nothing and if you want to know how many people have been fined in Cork with regards to Covid related restriction breaches the number is 3,000 313 Uh, and many of them are related to uh, the city and then they break them down into Cork North and Cork West nationally Um, it's it's, it's an enormous figure I read it somewhere this morning it's in the region of um, 718 500 500 euro fines have been issued to Cork these are house parties and then 2800 150 ones for going to a house party and you can add it all up nationally it gets even bigger than that but do you like that story that um First read it at the weekend and then it's making the papers this morning. You know, with regards to um, students being graded in schools, the Independent is saying that parents in recent months have been putting pressure on teachers. uh, So much so now that if it's proven that parents are interfering directly with teachers, it could cost their pupils their leaving cert result. And I was reading in one of the papers, I think it was the Independent Online, they were saying that in some cases, teachers were saying that because they were grading the students and in some cases they had um, like a first, second, third, fourth, fifth in, in the class all the way down. And, and parents were hoping to kind of maybe influence the teachers in that regard. And uh, one teacher said that she was being approached in places like supermarkets or in shopping malls by parents, um, you know, trying to bring up the topic of grading their son or their daughter. And then after, you know, results came out or what have you, maybe last year's leaving certificate, they were then being blanked by the parents afterwards because the parents felt that the teacher didn't give a fair result. So it's kind of mortifying. Leo Varadkar um, was um, interviewed by the guard. He met the, the guards actually by appointment with his solicitor. He was in a guard station for several hours um, and he made a statement to the guards. This was all voluntarily, of course, as part of the criminal investigation into the possibility of, and nothing's proven at this point, um, uh, a leak by uh, Leo Varadkar. And we, we hear of all the works being done in Cork City with regards to pedestrian not everybody's happy with that, actually. And a girl who's been on the air with me on numerous times down through the years, a great girl, Carol Rice, uh, who's a campaigner on behalf of uh, the disabled. She's livid over this. She says that uh, with regards to the pedestrianisation of the city, uh, we're losing an awful lot of disability spots. And we spoke about this on the air last year. So the impact of pedestrianisation has a similar um, negative impact for people with disabilities. But they're now giving grants to county businesses and county businesses are being invited to apply for the outdoor dining screen uh, scheme, I should say. You can get, if you're a county business that's trying to adapt for outdoors, you could get up to four grand uh, to prepare ahead of the summer to help you to do that as part of a 17 million wide nationwide fund. And if you know nothing about it, then you should get into applications for the outdoor seating and accessories for tourism can be got, uh, or at least further details from www.yourcouncil.com. 
Ie. Anglesey Street will be renamed McSweeney Street, Street, but not until early next year. Don't know why it has to take so long. And it seems as if the stars are spec- or the, the tabloids are saying uh, that um, Jules Thomas has um, broken up with Ian Bailey, um, or as the star puts it this morning, Bailey dumped by partner of, of 30 years. I may come back to that a little later on. Um, and with regards to Prince Philip's funeral... Apparently more people watched the funeral than saw the royal couple on the Oprah show. For what it's worth, beautiful story then of a Cork man who surprised his girlfriend with a drone. I'll tell you more about that when I have a little bit more time. But it's a lovely, lovely story of a romantic man surprising his girlfriend with a marriage proposal on a clifftop and had the drone deliver the engagement ring. So it's a lovely story and it's Cork related. So we will come back to that. And we'll also be talking a little later on this morning about house prices and house viewing and issues like that. All right. Lines open. one 850 The Neil Prenderville Show. All right. It's morning. All lines open. As I say, text 0868 Hope you got out at the weekend and enjoyed it and got a bit of sun. Can I just say well done to everybody who won an award at the Cork Business Award events at the we- event at the weekend. It all happened online. We all picked up our food boxes at the Imperial and it was super food and we all cooked it and prepped it at home and everybody then was online zooming with each other and the entire show the entire event was zoomed online and I have to say that the tech aspect of it was absolutely incredible it was brilliantly done and it just goes to show what can be done when you put your mind to it brilliant whoever was in charge of the tech it really was absolutely terrific and well done to Neve Murphy from ETC PR and Planning for bringing it all together and I don't mean to pick out anybody in particular but Neve is a million dollars. She's just fantastic and I know a lot of other people are involved as well. So to the recipients of the awards, Kilkenny Design, Diana O'Mahony Jewelers, Professor Mary Horgan at UCC, Clancy's Cork, The Glass Curtain, The Montanati, Delighted for Is Cafe, Breakthrough Cancer Research, Photo Island Resort, the Dean um, and indeed everybody else who was put forward those were the award winners uh, from Saturday night and it made me very proud to be from Cork watching the event uh, and to see so many people uh, making an effort it was an event that sold out there was 500 double tickets sold and it was terrific I think Marymount get a portion of the proceeds as well so well done to all those concerned so a lot of other activity an awful lot of people were out over the weekend and Seamus was out and about I'd say well if he'd be putting in for a new pair of shoes I'd say at this stage because he's all over the place these days. So where was he Friday? Gary Vaux. Chatting to the beach goers, chatting to the locals. Gary Vaux Beach is just gorgeous. It's um, whopping eight kilometers long. So he he walked it. (laughs) Um, People were enjoying the long walks. I haven't even got into the water. But let's find out who he got on. This is Gary Vaux from Friday. Absolutely thrilled. Brilliant. It's oh just God, fantastic. Yeah. It's yeah. a breath of fresh air. Fresh air. Good for the soul. Good for the soul. Yeah. It and is. where did you come from today? Um, I've come off just climb. Yeah. Happy marker for literally 10 minutes up the road. So like 10 minutes up the road, but this was outside your 5k. It's outside, outside your 5k. Yeah. Yeah. And very much part of my life, you know, this ball was come down for a walk in the morning and the evening. I missed it terribly. Yeah. Yeah. And you come swimming, which is important. Yeah, yeah. So. You, you go swimming. Yeah, it's just you just feel fantastic after it, you know. You feel fantastic. Yeah, yeah you, your body just feels as if you've got a, an adrenaline shot. Invigorated. Invigorated. Yeah. 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 I wouldn't be the swimmer, but I just love the beach and the waves I and love it. everything. Yeah. yeah, I love yeah. it. I love it here. It's fab. Yeah. I get somewhere different from walking. <laughs> 
Like you missed this yourself, did you? Oh, completely, yeah, yeah. So I just even for your mental state as well, you know, that when you're walking along, it's just peaceful. It's lovely. Ah! To get the dogs out of ah! Get them a bit further. Lovely walks here. Like you come to Gary Vaughan, you can actually walk to Shanagari. And it's a lovely walk back through the mobile home park as well. What would you like to see lifted now after after the 5k? <laughs> Restaurants open. <laughs> the hairdressers. Hairdressers first and then restaurants. So like you'd, you'd miss the Gary Bow Hotel above, would you? Yeah, yeah. We would. Are any the the restaurants even like you? Um Ferriton Lee in Middleton. Um yeah, the first one is probably one, and there's another couple of them that we weren't going to say. Just another one we were going to. Um, you know, it's nice just to get out and sit down with the friends and have a glass of wine and some tea. Personally, and stage, they're, they're kind of doing click and collect. So yeah, it was nice to go in to sit down, like before doing a click and collect. You're only coming home to your own house, like do you know. So it was nice to be able to go and sit down at a table in there to have an old chin wagon. We're only living behind the beach, so it didn't impact me. People were really well behaved. There was no big numbers down here Easter weekend, and we kind of expected there would be, to be honest, like, because it was, it, we were talking about unlocking, and then suddenly, suddenly Easter weekend landed on us, you know? Uh, so, look, people have been doing what they're supposed to in the main. Uh, a couple of people probably breaking the rules and getting sent home by guards on duty here. Uh, they don't like doing the job, but they had to do it, otherwise there would have been thousands down here. But, it's, it's good and definitely there's uh, there's a lot of happy people coming to the beach now, you know. And you have the playground across the road, uh, just close to the beach. And, and another added bonus, and I didn't realise it till uh, I dropped down, was that the Jerry Bow food store is back open again. Yeah, uh, so John and Mary kind of uh, retired uh, and the lads in the hotel are running it, I think, for a short term. I think the plan is to, 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 to develop that site into a bigger shop. But uh, they're selling the essentials, and I'd say probably from demand locally, it's really missed as an amenity, even from a point of view of people going down to pick up the newspaper, have a chat. You know, there are some uh, elderly people living here, and you know, Mary and Danny would have been more than just the shop, like, you know. Yeah. Oh, it's like you've taken over the uh, Gary Bow food stores now. You've reopened it, you've revamped it. A lot of space, uh, you're able to socially distance now. What can the public expect? From the store, are we still getting those famous ice creams? Yes, yes, we do. Uh, we have uh, we have a brand just a, a, a brand new machine, and and we have a lot more space inside inside in the shop, um, as um, as we have to be aware of all these new regulations of social distancing and this kind of thing. We don't have as much stuff as we had before, but uh, but look, I mean, we do have a few things, you know. There's a lot more people around now in the, in these last days. We are open every day now from uh, 11 to 7 uh, w during the week, and on the weekends we are doing from 10 o'clock in the morning until 9 o'clock in the evening. As the as the the days they are a bit more extended and the weather is nicer as well. It's a bit sad to see the Gary Four Hotel close, isn't it? Yeah, sure, it is definitely. It's very very sad for everybody that works in it. Um, that's the most important thing, really, um, as far as I'm concerned, and the customers that we 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 we, we, we look after. You know, it's it's the, there's always two people involved in a hotel: the customers and the people that work in the hotel. And this, this has affected everybody, you know. Um, so, and a lot of people have, have said to me, they're, they're, actually locals have said to me when they drive by, they're so sad to see it closed, you know, because it was all it was the life of Gary Bow. Look, uh, hoteliers are optimistic, Seamus. 
Are you, you know, hopeful that yeah, we'll get back to yeah, staycations like we did yes, last year? Yes, 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 I am. We have to, we have to. There's no choice in the matter. I mean, the country has to get back to, to that. I think the middle of June is what we're, what we're all hoping. Um, I think it's given people hope. What we were lacking there for a number of weeks there, you know, in like in February, March, was the country I think was lacking hope. And everybody in life, when, when you're going through a bad time, you need hope. And what the lifting of the 5K is giving hope to the Irish people, you know? Beatles, here comes the sun. Thank you, Seamus. That was Gary Vaux uh, from The Weekend. Now, a lot more people are uh, getting in touch through my Instagram page, and that's fantastic. I do appreciate it, but it comes with a caveat. I, you know, if you're, if you're sending me requests and dedications, I won't always see them on time on Instagram because this, you know, just, just the way it is. So that's fine. Or, or shout outs and that's fine. But, um, I just would be encouraging if you want shout outs or requests or things like that, it's best to text me at work, you know, through the uh, text number 0868104106. A much better chance of seeing it on time then. Okay, but I do pick things up. You know, I get to as much as I can. So a lovely one came in then that I spotted and they got it on Wednesday and here I am the following Monday. So there's an example. Hope you're keeping well. Love your show. Listen to it every morning in work. I'm wondering, can you give a shout out to my mam on one of your shows if possible? She absolutely loves the show and rarely misses it. So I know she'd die if she heard her name being called out. Her name is Joanne Bell. fantastic mother to her three children myself included and her two sons and it never goes unnoticed what she does for us day in day out we'd be lost without her no problem if you can't just sit and ask well happy to oblige so morning to Joanne Bell have a great day today all the family love you back after the break talk to Neil Printerville now 1851 106 Red FM I mentioned earlier on this morning that there's a story in the star this morning it's an Olivia Kelleher story of and the first paragraph a romantic man has surprised his girlfriend with a marriage proposal on a cliff top while having a drone deliver the engagement ring it's a super super story on the cliffs of Alahis apparently Blue Cassidy proposed to his girlfriend Maria Gilvanda but rather than me wreck the story let's get them to tell it themselves Blue good morning Hi, good morning, Neil. Thanks and, for having us And on. you have a buddy called Niall Duffy from West Cork Photos. So you planned this. You hatched this we plot, did. this plan. We what was it about? I last year, actually. I, I contacted Niall because I knew he had a drone and I knew he was a well-capable well, a well capable photographer. So I, I said to him, look, man, can you help me uh, make make a, my, my, my woman an honest woman? <laughs> <laughs> and he did, yeah. We've been planning this since um, after the first lockdown last year. Just oh, okay, right. okay. So Maria joins me. So Maria? Hello, good morning. So you knew nothing about this. So was, it supposed, was, it, was it just supposed to be a romantic stroll or a, a picnic or something? Yeah, a picnic and also uh, Blue had this plan with Niall where, so for me not figured it out what was going on, he said Niall need our help to take some photos to promote tourism in Alihis. So I was like, oh yeah, okay, you can help your friend. And then I had no idea what was waiting for me. Such a beautiful thing. Okay, so what had you planned, Blue? You decided to tell her that it was a photo shoot for tourism or something, was it? Exactly. I said we were doing a promotional video for Tourism West Cork and Niall needed a young couple to pose as a picnic on a scenic spot. Um, and he, he called us the, the, the two days before to say to set the scene, basically, and to get her to agree to come for this um, fake shoot, you know. 
So what did you bring with you then? Did you bring food, bottle of champagne, stuff like that? The bottle of champagne and the blanket. That's what it's all supposed to be because we said if we went down there, we could chill out for the day and have a glass of champagne anyway because <laughs> it's been so long since we were out in the, in, in the scenic West Cork area, you know? And did um, you get the weather on that day? It was just perfect, you know, because we were planning it for so long. So I was watching the weather for about a week, kind of praying that the wind wouldn't be too strong. Um, but it was absolutely ideal. And Niall, fair play to him. Even though it's still a bit windy, he managed to um, just about get the ring without crashing it. I'll get to the ring part of it in a second. So, Marie, were you were you sitting down on the on the blanket with a glass of champagne and maybe a little bit of food, is it? Yes, we're just chilling there and uh, it was nice weather, just, you know, and also helping his friend. And then I remember Niall saying, guys, just don't look at the drone so the pictures will be more natural. So we're kind of avoiding to look at that. So and you, then what, could you see it above hovering around buzzing, is it? <laughs> no, I saw the drone was around us up there, but then when I saw this, box coming on the drone and I was like what's that but I had no idea I thought he was sending something to us to show or whatever oh, but was it a tiny never... ring box is it yeah oh, so that's a funny fact right so Blue managed to put the ring box inside the sock and was stick on the drone so uh, that's I not very romantic <laughs> very romantic no you see to, you know, well, what did uh, you say Blue fishing line and the and the sock hanging off the drone there's, there's no expense spared in the master planning I, I hope it wasn't one of your used socks or anything it was a clean fresh sock was it oh it was pretty clean like I wouldn't give her you know a, a gym sock now <laughs> Okay. I said to him, I always tell that story to our kids. <laughs> so down it came anyway, the sock. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah. He, he came with the drone and it, it, he tried to swoop in, but the, the pendulum of the ring kind of pulled the drone sideways a bit the first round. I kept saying to her, don't look at the drone, don't look at the drone. And then I kept looking at the drone and she kept saying to me, why are you looking at the drone? <laughs> I was just looking, <laughs> hoping that it didn't fly into the cliff, basically. Or that crash crash into the cliff face and end up in the water. <laughs> that would be sad. <laughs> anyway, when did you cop that there? Okay, so it arrived. Somebody disengaged the sock from the drone. What happened next? And then uh, he went on his knee and then I'm like, uh, he must be playing a joke on me because just on Valentine's Day, I got a ring a box and I put some money to give him as a present to buy a fishing rod. And then I played like I was kind of pr proposing to him, you know, and I said, oh, I think he'll play a joke with me soon as well. But just as we're always playing jokes at each other and I just realized that the thing was serious when I saw him his hands shaking and uh. then he started <laughs> saying these beautiful things and you can see on the video I'm shocked like I even took a while to say yes because I was like oh my god uh, this is serious of course this was all captured on video and uh, what did he say what were the kind of gushing beautiful soppy uh, things he said to you uh, beautiful <laughs> things I can even I was so excited that I can even and remember now how uh, did he did he say I mean you're Brazilian I don't know whether you've got the same kind of phrases in Brazil but did he say something like would you like to be buried with my people <laughs> <laughs> brilliant I should have I should have yeah you missed it. Uh, I, I had a big thing planned in my head and I was, I was when we were in uh, Castle Town beforehand I was trying to like go over some random words uh, but when I got down on my knee 
everything it's just gone black I can't remember at all what you I said. blubbered out a load of gibberish I just blubbered out a load of crap and I, I'd say she, she probably went okay yeah sure <laughs> but you said yes I mean unlike the drone as Olivia Kelleher says this morning you didn't tell him to buzz off <laughs> <laughs> no, I didn't. But you know, I, he is such a clever one. He took me to the cliff, so there'll be no way to say no. <laughs> and no option. <laughs> well, hopefully in 20 yeah, years' time, you won't bring him back to the cliffs to throw him off them. <laughs> well, well, we were saying in 10 years' time, perhaps it'd be nice to refilm and renew our engagement. All right, well, that'd be good. Yeah. But let's see you get married first. So when is the big day? That's it. <laughs> That's it. Well, we're thinking June uh, next summer. Hopefully the lockdown um, will be over by then. <laughs> You're joking me, June of next year? Of course, of course. Although we thinking. said that last year. <laughs> I know, I know. This is it. Here's hoping. But anyway. Look, we can only hope these days. Do you love the ring, Maria? I do. It's such a special one. I love it. And a very, very public proposal. Delighted for you. Got the weather. It's amazing how tech is changing the world, isn't it? Not only are we getting, you know, Google and Amazon and pizza being delivered by uh, by drone, but now engagement rings as well. I love it. I'd say you were stunned. Well, I, I, I wonder will we start to see a fad of engagement drone proposals? Actually, there might be business in it for the likes of Niall Duffy at West Cork Photos and others like it, you know? Possibly, yeah. possibly. I guess it means all the other guys who are annoyed at us for um, setting the bar so high could have a chance to redeem themselves. Well, it's a great story and a great story to share in years to come. Do stay in touch, the two of you, incidentally, as to when, you know, this time next year or wherever when you're having it, we can share your story of the wedding and everything. And and hopefully it'll be a big wedding, nothing like 10 or 15 or 20 people at it, yeah? No, hopefully. And we're just so happy to to have a beautiful story to share to people in times like these where, you know, we are going through hard times and I think it can warm some people's hearts and we have our friends and family are just so happy and they say say that they have something to hold on and look forward for the future so hopefully our love can celebrate the end of this uh, pandemic as well and we can just celebrate and go back to our normal life that is so beautifully put in fact it's so Mm. beautifully put Maria you should have proposed to Blue rather than him (laughs) blubbering out a load of gibberish Uh, she nearly did at Valentine's Day, so we call it even Stephen. Uh, anyway. If he keep playing his cards right, I'm right. I'm going to propose to him in ten years again. All right, okay, to renew it. Listen, you're a lovely couple, and I can tell that you're very happy together. Congratulations to you well, both. Thank you very much. To Blue thank and you. indeed to Maria. Lovely story, and she is so right. You know, we need to accentuate the positive and the happy stories in these tough old times, uh, and a bit of modern tech thrown into the mix. Lines open one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Back after the break, more things regarding things that fly in the sky. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Talking about Cork closing for the 12 weeks from September, reopening again in early December. Uh, Michael says, why is Cork run by the DAA? Why Dublin Airport Authorities? Why, why, why? Uh, a lot of texts on it. Over the years, successive Cork TDs have chosen to ignore the plight of Cork Airport over and over 
over again. Well, I don't know that they would have done that, really. Um, if that was the case, we wouldn't have got a new terminal, would we? Kerry Airport does a lot of flights to Spain, and it's only an hour away. As in, if you can't go from Cork, get over it, go to Farron 4. The pilot that landed in Mallow actually died in 2009, Ruben O'Connor. He was 81. His daughter visited Mallow Racecourse a year after. Thank you for that. I was asking people, do people remember the flight that came in from Mexico and had to land on the racecourse? Cork Airport is very nice. The staff are the best in the world. They're so friendly, says Emma. No wonder Ryanair pulled out of Cork. Michael O'Leary's laughing at us, and I don't blame him, says Pat. Why can't the airport do the work now? The work would have been deemed essential all along. Loads of people who want to travel for September. It's not the same as next year, but it's still a lot. Um, Dublin Airport won't close because their work currently ongoing on the runway. Oh, really? So they're working on the runway at the moment, says Pat. There are new runway lights gone up and they went up last week. I'm due to fly from Cork on 13th to Malta. Ryanair have cancelled the return flight on the 23rd, but not the outbound. So you go out of Cork, but you don't know where you're coming back to. Why doesn't the work, why not do the work before the end of August? The weather would probably be better for construction. We're probably going nowhere anyway until the autumn. And if this isn't complete in 10 weeks, um, will the board at Cork Airport resign? Well, that would be a Dublin board, I suppose. What's going to happen to the airport staff and their pay? Will they be laid off? Now, that's a very interesting one. And I will come back to more text on it in a few minutes' time. But I want to get the thoughts of Kieran, who's the A320 First Officer for Aer Lingus, based out of Cork. And he joins me by phone. Actually, sent me a rather interesting email that I want to pick up. Kieran, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Um, just, on, just on that point, with regards to all of the staff at the airport and all of the service staff and the various staff members for the different airlines. Are they all on a pandemic payment now, do you think? Um, I'm not quite sure. With Ryanair, there's a lot of um, workers that would work on contracts. Those contracts would just wouldn't be renewed. Um, there's a lot of staff that uh, working at the airport and the shops and the duty-free. Um, they would be on the PUP, I would imagine. Um, but, I mean, the long-term effects of this, you know, with the pandemic and now the, the runway closing, it, it's going to be uh, devastating to, to the airport, to the region, to the people that work work at the airport. Um, the connectivity into Cork is going to be seriously reduced and it will take a considerable amount of time to even start to repair the damage that's going to be done. I mean, this work that has been done in, on the runway, uh, it, it does need to be done. There's, there's no two ways about that. Um, and there's two options. You, you shut the airport and do it in, in 10, 10, 12 weeks. Or you take an approach where you, you do the work gradually over, over the course of 12 months. Now, there is, a, there is an opportunity to get this work done. Uh, I'm not saying don't do the work this year in 10 weeks. Well, some are. Some are saying, is it yeah. really that vital that it couldn't be postponed for 12 months? Well, the, re- the reason that it, it, it will not be postponed for 12 months is because you would have impact to the schedule for for maybe 12 months because the work will be done at night. So it will take a, a longer period of time with a lot of, um, like for example, we would have to be back into Cork Airport landed and off the runway by 9 o'clock every night. That would significantly impact the airline's uh, ability to operate in and out of, in and out of the, the airport because we would have flights and schedules that would be landing uh, in much later than 9 o'clock, particularly in, in, in peak summer. So that, that would impact the airline, the airlines on a, on a longer period of time. And it's not possible to close run- one runway, leave another one open. I mean, you're a pilot. What's the answer to that? Well, well you see, we can't land on, on, the, on the Wesley runway. It's too small. So we can only land on, well, 
the jets anyway, like the, the turboprops like Stobart Air can land on, on, on okay. the, the okay. West Runway. We, okay. we can't. So, so we need the, the length of runway to, to actually stop, stop the airplane um, uh, the longest runway. Okay, it's and just the other North question North. The other question on that is, as well, because we don't need longer one runways if we ever decide to do more transatlantics. Um, the airport uh, are telling me that they're, they're long enough for it already. Is that true? That, that, that isn't really... Well, look, from our perspective, we have airplanes that can travel. There's, there's single-oil airplanes that can travel across the Atlantic to, to the east coast of America, right? We, we do that, or we did that out of Shannon until last year, and we do it out of Dublin. So that airplane, that particular airplane, can make it across the Atlantic. However, it, you, you can't efficiently or make money out of, out of, out of bringing that, air, that airplane out of Cork um, because of the restrictions of the runway. Basically, we would have to trade passengers for fuel. That's right. Uh, yeah, and yeah. We, can't, we can't leave fully loaded out of Cork uh, because the runway is too short. And if the runway was longer, you could have bigger planes carrying more passengers with cheaper prices. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Correct. Okay. bigger planes in there, load them up and get in and out without any restrictions. Okay. And yeah. that, that's the problem. So, so in regards to transatlantic flying, if the runway was longer, it would create a lot more opportunities to do that type of flying on Cork. So why then don't they decide to, I mean, you know, I'm just asking you as a professional, why don't they extend it while they're at it? Well, I guess, there's, you know, there's a lot of planning, um, you know, and again, you know, you, you may have houses at one end of the runway where mm-hmm. you're going to have to demolish. So there's probably a lot of a lot of red tape in terms of extending the runway. And that project would, would take a number of years to, to plan. This project is essentially just breaking up the runway that is there and resurfacing it and putting down lights and, and some navigational aids as well that we use to land. So to, as you said a while ago, to, to shut down the, the, the airport for 10 weeks or to take the other option, which would be extend the workout for maybe 12 months, but do it at night. And that would mean you'd have to be off the runways by 9pm and that would impact yeah, as well. Because somebody just said there a while ago that there's work going on on the runways in Dublin right now and have been for a number of weeks. Yeah, they're actually building a new runway uh, in Dublin. So the runway, the Dublin Airport will have two runways essentially uh, going forward. And why are they doing all of that work now and have been? Like, why weren't they doing the same in Cork? Well, well, you see, the Dublin Airport project is different. They're they're actually building a new runway in addition to the one they have already. So that project was has been. No, but, but I know that. But my point is, they're doing all of that work when when. Um, it's down like it, traffic is down 80%, 90%. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're proposing to do the work when we're out yeah. of lockdown. Ideally, this project should be done now. And what I would say to whoever is making the decisions at Cork Airport and the government is to not delay the project, bring it forward. You know, once the tenders come in uh, and you're going to appoint a contractor, get them in immediately. Get them in now. Start, start June, July, August, and then... You know, around September, we, we should be ready to go again. Okay. Don't delay the work. This do, is, do it earlier. There's a story in the Star this morning, just a couple of paragraphs from it. Uh, the government admitting it will take several years for airports to return to normal. The Star this morning, uh, Jumbo Karen says, a record 38 million passengers passed through Cork, Dublin, Shannon, Knock and Kerry in 2019. It's 80% down now. There's 140,000 aviation workers from ground staff to air crew in danger uh, they say that some pilots have applied for jobs as fruit pickers to try and pay their mortgages. And he says some of them have gone from 200 grand a year to a pop payment. All of that yeah. true? That's all correct. Um, look, our, our whole situation here, 
hinges around. It's imperative that the government start to listen to us. And I was on here before, and I think what I said to you is that you know, if the government don't don't do something or listen to what we're trying to tell them, we're going to be having this conversation in a number of weeks again, and here we are. There's 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 a whole host of, of, of reasons why the government aren't doing anything. And, for example, there's a report called the Ferguson Report. That report is... is uh, been commissioned by the Minister for Health, Stephen Donnelly, and it, he has appointed a board or a, a member group to review this report. And it's about antigen testing and its importance in, uh, along with PCR testing, but its importance to, to identify outbreaks, to use it in schools, universities, workplaces, and also for, for travel to get the economy up and running again. Yeah, but we'll have a vaccine passport for that, right? Well, here again, a vaccine passport, it's not a vaccine passport. And this is, this is crucial to identify this. A vaccine passport implies that it, a vaccine is required for travel and the holder must be vaccinated. So what, what is there is a digital green certificate, which is, which is slightly different to that. And the vaccine passport can discriminate against people because you may, not, you may have children that you want to go on holidays with, but you can't vaccinate them. Now, the digital green certificate, what that demonstrates is that you have been vaccinated, you have recovered from COVID-19, and it gives you a, um, a test result, positive or negative, for a PCR test. Now, that will facilitate um, the freedom of travel again within the EU, and the EU Commission have, have come out said that, well, you know, it's going to be passed, I think, at the end of this month, or the 28th of April, that all members must participate in this digital green certificate, and that will be vital to the recover of aviation, hospitality and tourism because it allows people to travel in a way that is safe. And with the addition of antigen testing, which would be, you, you, you know, it's essentially like a, a pregnancy test. You, you're given a kiss, uh, you swab your nose and your throat. Where? You put, at the airport, is it? At, at the airport, yeah. And, and, and you swab your nose and, and your throat. You put the, the swab into a buffer solution and then from that container you, you, you just drop it into the, the test strip and it gives you a positive or negative test. And everybody that's traipsing through the airport would do that, is it? Everybody would be tested before before they, they go through the airport. And it takes you should wait about thirty minutes to get a, a positive result. Now this Ferguson report, which is being commissioned by the Minister for Health, and you, you know, the likes of Professor Mark Ferguson, who's the chief scientific advisor to the Irish government, he has reviewed it. Uh, Paddy Madden is a consultant for infectious disease at St. Vincent Hospital. Um, Professor Mary Horgan, who's yeah, actually, but, but when I know that, UCC. but when you, when you go on holidays, then you know an antigen test or even a PCR test doesn't stop you getting it out there. It, it, well, neither test will actually one hundred percent guarantee. But a, but a vaccine uh, passport will. Well, not, not necessarily. Like a vaccine passport demonstrates your your health your health state or, or you know whether you've been vaccinated, recovered, or tested. But but you need to do the test. I mean, if you're testing someone just before they get on a plane or, or, or just, you know, going into university, it's the repetitiveness of this antigen testing that, that is beneficial. If you, it's quick, it's low cost, and you can do it many, many times. And there are pilot schemes, in, you know, Kerry Group are doing it with their staff. What are they so doing? They've been away for leave. So if you've been away, away on leave for, for a, a number of weeks, and you come back, you're, you're given an antigen test. And that is that is giving confidence, and 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 you, you can capture an outbreak by use by the use of antigen testing because of the volume of people that you're testing, and then from from there you can move them on and isolate them and PCR test them. So, 
it's vital that this, this antigen testing is done. The digital green certificate is, is, is introduced and used within the EU and particularly in Ireland. The government aren't really interested in any of this. And, you know, we, there's a group formed uh, at the moment and it's called the National Civil Aviation, Civil Aviation Development Forum. And this is essentially a steering committee that have met with the Minister for Transport on the 5th of March to discuss a recovery plan for aviation. It's a detailed plan. Um, it's about 44 pages long. Um, and just to synopsize what what it is, is it's a plan to identify you know health matrices to lift the ban on international travel um, to support a narrative in international travel because there's been a lot of flight change at the moment. Okay, okay. And it's essentially going to going to uplift our economy and get us going again. Okay, uh, you know even the the EU traffic light system, you know that needs to be introduced again and also supported the evolution of it because there's no point just introducing something and, and not not supporting evolution of it and, and make things better and easier for people to travel along. Okay, okay. So you're saying uh, antigen testing at the airport. Uh, turn it around within fifteen or thirty minutes, and away you go. As as long as you yeah. as long as you don't test positive, and you're sent home with your luggage, right? Correct. Yeah. Uh, along with along with the, the digital green certificate, you know, all this information that we're we're gathering with all these 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 systems and, and schemes, put them all together, and you're you're reducing your you're mitigating the risk. They're not eliminating, it, but you're you're mitigating it, and you're reducing the risk for people traveling and spreading the disease. You know, at the moment, we don't have anything, and the government don't have a plan, and they need to listen to this plan. These people, you know, we're, we're talking about you know profession, professionals in in aviation and in the medical um, industry, saying that these things are are useful and they can help, and the government are not listening. Okay, I just wanted to get Simon to jump in on this before I move on. Simon says Simon is a fellow Aer Lingus pilot of yours. Simon, good morning. Has I'd say Karen has covered a lot of ground, has he? He certainly has, Neil. Yeah, thanks very much for uh, talking to me this yeah, morning. Yeah, not about it. Um, yeah, just, just like uh, Kieran's exactly right in, in what he says about the difference between a vaccine passport and a digital green certificate. The, the one, only one thing I don't think he has mentioned is that while the digital green certificate is going to be brought in by the EU as a requirement for all the countries in the EU to offer, there's no requirement for people to have one to travel. The effective use of use of it is, as Kieran says, you either have evidence of vaccine or evidence of a negative test or evidence of recovery. That's right. And if you can produce that on entry into another EU country, it will allow you to bypass the entry restrictions that that country has. As you know as well as we do, there's differences between the restrictions that are being placed on. Irish people living in Ireland compared to the people who want to travel into Ireland. No, I, I understand that and, and yeah. I, I can't get overly technical about it, but I, my understanding no, is layperson's that. understanding was that the only people that would be travelling first would be people who'd had their two shots. That's not necessarily true at all. Once the digital certificate um, system is up and running in the next few months, it would allow for people who have a negative test to travel, and that would be sufficient evidence for you to travel to another EU country and effectively have the same freedom of movement within that country as the people who already live there. It just allows you to bypass the entry testing requirements, the entry quarantine requirements that a lot of countries currently have. So it's up to the traveller as well whether they actually want to have the certificate. They're not being forced to have one. So I think that's the important thing. Is so they could just get their own antigen test, is it? They could get their own. Whatever test is, is deemed uh, sufficient, whether it's an antigen test or a PCR test, we certainly believe that antigen testing for all passengers should be um, the way forward because it provides a, a certain amount of blanket coverage to, to test for the people who are currently um, contagious and 
they can then be taken out of the system and isolated, whereas you've got a certain amount of confidence involved if every passenger is being um, uh, antigen tested or in other circumstances, um, the, the, the Ferguson report talks about antigen testing being used for, say, kids going to school or college students going back into lecture theatres, uh, workers going into workplaces right. that may have been identified as high risk. So therefore, why the can't the same thing happen when you want to fly? What, do, do, exactly. Do, I mean, do either of you have an opinion on when we actually will be fu- will be flying? I mean, there's a story in the papers this morning uh, quoting, I think it's Michal Martin or someone like that, saying that it would be holidays at home this year. Well, I, I think Neil, the, the important aspect is that at the minute there's absolutely no guidance from the government as to when it would be possible. I think one of the important as first aspects that's mentioned in the recovery plan published by the NCADF that Kieran mentioned is that it's vital that the government actually decides on what the, the metrics, what the, what the circumstances would be that would allow for for travel to happen, for society to open back up. At the, at the minute, it's very grey. It's a little bit of a hint dropped here and there as we might be able to go to the hairdressers next week or it, there's no kind of um, roadmap out of this. And I think one the important thing about this aviation plan is that it provides um, a roadmap. It provides an exit strategy for where we are. But for minute. when? Like mid-July, August? When? Mid-July could very well be a possibility. I, I think it, it's, it's, it's up to um, the government to decide on how cases are going with respect to implementing this plan and this plan with regards to the antigen testing being brought in and the use with regards to travel of the EU traffic light system, which already has a system built in for taking into consideration how how much COVID there is in particular countries with the green, yellow, red system. Yeah, yeah. Um, all of those aspects could be brought in aligned with a new rapid antigen testing system to go along with it to provide a way to say, well, look, things are getting better in terms of the number of cases, the vaccine's being rolled out. We now have this plan where we're going to reduce the chances of risks happening by providing rapid antigen testing or having this as part of the system and use that as the way that we move forwards over the next few months. Okay, thank you both, gentlemen. Do stay in touch. That's Kieran and Simon, both the Aer Lingus pilots out of Cork. Lines open at 1850 104 106. Back after 10. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 1850 104 106. Red FM. Remember, Neil, vaccinated or not, you can still spread this virus. People forget that choosing not to be vaccinated is a personal choice and yes it rises your risk but it's still your body your choice that's the rules of the society we live in your body your choice so therefore i imagine those if you want to have your body your choice you would also choose not to fly because you could um, pass on the virus yourself because you've chosen not to be vaccinated I'm Lana O'Connor. Red FM News is first for local, national and international news. And you can stay up to date by tuning into our hourly news bulletins or by clicking on redfm.ie. 104 to 106. Red FM. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Pilots talking about choice, whether that involves an antigen test at the airport, whether it involves, um, and that of course would also prove whether or not you had it and recovered, a digital green certificate or indeed a vaccination search. You know, so there are lots of different options. Mind you, uh, I read something at the weekend, and the, oh, I was talking about it, I think, on Friday, the back end of last week. They were saying that the first to open here at home will be hotels and guest houses, and that that could even be ahead of, um, you know, gastropubs or cafes and indoors and things like that, that it would be hotels and guest houses first. Why would we need a vaccine when chances of contracting the virus are 0.003%? And if you're that unlucky, the recovery rate then in the under 80s, is 99.9%. 
Has everyone just gone brain dead? Morning, I'm confused. Listening to your interview, particularly with the Irish Travel Agents Association, about travel passports. If people who've had COVID are okay to travel, why are they being vaccinated if they're immune? which I thought was for six months. Wouldn't it be better to leave these people until the end and focus on everyone else first? Uh, Is anyone discussing the elephant in the room? You can still get COVID, probably a milder version, and still spread COVID after being vaccinated. Don't know about it having an impact on your health, but you can still get it and spread it. Uh, Anyway, these people saying get the vaccine to protect other people is totally incorrect. Um, you can still get COVID and still pass it on. Uh, the only game in town at the moment, really, isn't it, is to try and get as many people. And I know that there's your body, your choice. I'm not taking away from that. But getting more and more people vaccinated to build up herd immunity. Uh, just wondering if anyone has thought uh, that if we get the Astra, we will need to wait three months for the next jab, which could be July. Yes, I mean, if you can get the Pfizer or the Moderna, it will be an awful lot faster for sure. Um, actually, in America, because I was talking to uh, Tom McCarthy at the weekend, you have a choice. You can, you know, you can actually, they'll give you a choice of different vaccine. You pick the one you want over there. In fact, Emer was telling me of some story at the weekend where somebody was in a pharmacy um, or a drugstore in America and was walking down the aisle and it came over the tannoy. Anybody in the pharmacy would like to be vaccinated, please come to the front counter. We have spare doses available. <laughs> I laugh because I don't laugh. You'd cry, wouldn't you? Anyway, Rob has and hopefully will again. Of course he will. His own events business and has been decimated over the past 13 months. Or so, Rob, good morning. Good morning, Neil. What is, it that, what is it that you do or would have been doing if it wasn't for covid well, uh, it, it started this morning, Neil, when you had this interview with uh, Kieran the pilot, and uh, I really, it's the first time I really listened to somebody that made a bit of sense to me, to me anyway. Well, you listen me. to these guys because they're flying, flying the planes. That's what they do. Well, well, outside of the flying the planes, Neil, he, he was talking about a system that basically could, we say, push it along to bring the aviation business back in line because the avi- going back to the aviation, what you asked the question, we are in the events business here in Cork. Yeah. We have been here for the last 17 years. And we have not walked since March of last year. Uh, just my year. question, what would you have normally been doing if you were up and running? What we would normally be doing is every exhibition and conference that would be held in Cork, would be whether it's the City Hall, every hotel in Cork has a, a, has a conference. We have uh, in-house conferences within the companies, the pharmaceutical companies. Yeah. Uh, when their CEOs might come to Cork, they might want to set up their premises uh, for, a, for a conference or yeah. an opening or an alarm. Yeah. And we have done nothing with that for the last uh, 13, 14 months at this stage. And I believe that, uh, well, obviously COVID is the biggest issue here. But the longer this goes on, my company is in serious trouble of having to close its doors. And like many other companies in our type of industry and the network of people involved in our industry, it's just gone to the point of being quite serious. Okay, so you set up conferencing, whether it's hotels or in multinationals or pharmachem or tech or whatever. But you also do all of the signage at the airport. Are they the advertising billboarding signage that we see? Yes, when you walk into the airport, yeah. Neil, over your head when you're registering for your, your tickets, you see all the signage. Uh, signage everywhere within the airport is actually installed by us. And that has dried up equally. So, again, the airport closure is... It would be something that would frighten the life out of many a Cork person. But I really believe that our politicians here in Cork, especially our Taoiseach 
and our representatives here in Galway, they should really stand up for this and really make this an issue for Cork. But hold on a second. We had to close or we had to restrict. In fact, many said that the airports weren't closed or restricted fast enough. Yes, I agree on that. I, I totally agree on that. But right now, what, after this interview that I heard this morning, I really believe that our politicians, uh, should, if they heard this and they should have heard it, should step up to the mark and really put their stamp on this. I really believe that need because I am at a point and all my staff, we are out of work. We have nothing to do. And many other companies very similar to us in this industry, very much so in Cork. And to be perfectly honest with you, Neil, I am not interested in what happens outside of Cork, to be honest with you. I want to, I'm a pro Cork person and I need work in Cork and the airport is vital. The aviation sector is vital. But how would it help you if, say, there was antigen testing at airports and it was turned around in 15 minutes? Does it mean that you would have people coming for overseas for conferencing faster? Correct. Yeah. Correct. I also work for like the Tyndall Institute and UCC and there's people don't realise and I'm sure you're doing needle because you're in the yourself. Lots of little mini conferences are going around constantly around our city and uh, we have the facilities for it, but there's a complete closure of people coming in. Zooming all forms of uh, what you call uh, virtual uh, conferences going on, and you mentioned this morning the CBA wars was done on a virtual a virtual conferencing. Well, I don't know who was behind the tech involved in that, but I have to tell you, well, there it was, was ABC, t- which I have to who? say that was ABC here in Cork. They, the airport, that's a class. A, that was a class act. Whoever did that. Yeah, yeah, actually, I have a fantastic studio, especially... Oh, my God. Because I, I don't Zoom, right? I don't have to do that. I'm in a studio all of the time. Yeah. So I'm not yeah. one of those people who are Zooming at meetings and saying you're on mute and all this kind of stuff. But what I saw on Saturday night blew me away, really, well, because it was seamless. It was... It's the age of technology and everybody zooms at home for quizzes and for a bit of fun and work no related stuff. But, Neil, it's not the same thing being in touch with people as you know the physical interaction with people is vital for networking for, the, for how a person really feels about the situation but all of that has stopped and as, one, as, as long as the airport stays shut all of that business affects the city because when these people come into the city they have to stay in a hotel they have to have the taxis they have to have restaurants and the knock-on effect for the aviation industry in this city like, would be, oh, I, wouldn't, I couldn't even put more... But that will all come back. I mean, it'll... I, I'm sure it will come back, but my point here, Neil, is that it seems to be going on forever, and I know the vaccination is, is what I would call something to really look forward to. But what Kieran was saying this morning about people having bypassing this to a certain extent and getting on flights earlier... Could if that can be done, I really would believe that that would be the survival and saviour of the airport. And yeah, but the in system. the end of the day, it's a bit of a mute point because they're going to shut the damn place for ten weeks in September. Well, look, Neil, this airport runway has to be done no matter what. It's not going to please everybody. I believe that the airport it has to be done at some stage. But as Kieran, uh, as uh, what's his name, uh, Kevin Oak, uh, Kevin from uh, the Call airport authorities, was on the other Kevin Colman, I beg your pardon. He was talking about it and he said, if it's not done within the 10 weeks this year, it'll take six months next year and, and, and the knock-on effect will be huge and we won't, you know, I really believe sometimes you have to make certain decisions in business that mightn't please everybody, but it's the right decision because these people know what they're talking about. Yeah, they're in yeah. the aviation business, yeah, I yeah, believe. Yeah. I trust them. Have you had a lot of stress and anxiety in the recent past? Because you literally are, you're, you're not unlike the entertainment industry, just shut yeah, it, it, to be perfectly honest with you, I, 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 I always felt I was a very positive person myself, and I keep I try and keep things going. I try I try do things I've never done before. I, I've actually did things I've never done before, 
And the thing is that pivoting is one way of, of circulating your business. But being a member of Toastmasters and being a member of a B2B business group, I keep myself busy mentally because there are times when I definitely I have suffered from anxiety over the future, what's happening, what's, and being used to working on my life, it's very difficult to do very little or nothing. It's very difficult. Hang in there. Appreciate your contribution yeah, this no morning. Problem. Look it's after yourself. Pleasure talking to you. Uh, you too. Okay. Thank Rob Stevens, who has Stevens Display Solutions. So when you see all of those displays and whenever you're going through the airport next, now you'll know the good people of Cork who are doing it. Uh, Stevens Display Solutions. Jumbo Cairns this morning talks about, you know, you might, it's like a death by a thousand cuts. A couple of jobs go here, a couple of jobs go there, and sooner than later it comes to a hundred and then a thousand and then numbers uh, multiply. He says the jobs, and this is within the avi- aviation sector, he says the jobs are going going in dribs and drabs. Baggage handlers are going, fuelers are going, they're going in ones, they then go in twos, then they go in sixes, and before you know it, is dozens. Their livelihoods are gone, this is happening right now, and there is a deafening silence from our government. Of course, inter- and, and a lot of the deafening silence is because of the fear of international travel, and you know, you throw the word variant into that, of course, and you can understand why everybody is very hands-off about any kind of a roadmap out of this for flying. Back after the break. The Neil Prenderville Show on Twitter at NeilRedFM. Okay, always important to recap on topics that we dealt with on air, particularly if we, just, if we get an opportunity to make headway on it. And a few weeks back, we spoke to Hannah from Balancolic, and she was having a massive difficulty at the time in buying a home for herself, her partner, and their four kids. Now, this is just a snippet of my conversation with Hannah some weeks back. Have an aged. I had been on to a bank inquiring about a mortgage because I'm married myself and my husband were both working full time and everything and we have four kids um, the eldest one is four the baby is three months old okay. um, so busy house but we do our best so we're at, we're at the stage that we're trying to save and budget so I rang the bank um, gave them our earnings and said that we had kids and to my absolute shock and disappointment I was told that we would be able to borrow up to 149,000 euros um, and I, I suppose for me I was so destroyed like the cheapest house in Balancolic at the moment is 195,000 euros that's a two bedroom 40 square metre house so that was just a snippet of the conversation. The rest of it is up online if you wish to have a listen yourself. But she was absolutely dejected and very much let down because you are talking about both of them with full-time jobs. And uh, when the bank looked at them uh, and assessed them for the mortgage, 149 grand. So you'll get nothing for that, really. You might get a fixer-upper maybe in, 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 in rural Cork or what have you. But, uh, you know, that would be a big change. So we put her in touch with Joey Sheehan, who is mymortgages.ie. He literally wrote the book on this. The book's called The Mortgage Coach and, jo- Coach, and he joins me by phone. Joey, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Oh, good, good. So we set you the task of taking a look at Hannah's scenario. Do you come up with many, and you had a result on it, but do you come up with many situations like Hannah's? Absolutely, Neil. So banks set their own credit policies and each bank determines basically what they'll allow, what they won't allow, how they'll stress test people who've got loans how many children they have, and so on. So basically, the, the loan amount that a bank will offer varies from bank to bank. So just because I earn you know X amount doesn't mean I can go to every bank and borrow three and a half times that amount. So some banks will be tighter than others, and some will be more accommodating. So explain so, to me, you mean some will give you more than three and a half times income, and some give you less than three and a half times income? 
Yeah, so the yardstick for the, the, the central bank allows three and a half times your income. So if you've got a couple of earning, let's say, €60,000, they can borrow three and a half times that amount, which would be 210. Now, if that couple has children or if they've got maybe, you know, loans, personal loans, credit union loans, car loans, um, or if they've got any other outcome, uh, maybe yeah. they're maintenance, yeah. that can reduce down their affordability to repay. So even though the three and a half times, that example is 210, they might only qualify for an amount, like in, in this case, the bank has taken a view, probably because of the children, to offer roughly 150000 to to Hannah and her partner. So, um, but I, I'm, I'm delighted to, to say that other banks, you know, it varies from bank to bank. So, so I have ran the figures with Hannah and we're in the process of submitting an application. So not only will we be able to borrow the full three and a half times for her, which would be, I think, 232000 uh, of a loan amount. In addition to that, Hannah is on what, what's called a pay scale if you're a public sector employee and we can actually use the benefit of increasing two increments on that pay scale. So we're actually going to get closer to a loan amount of around 240000 Okay, but be very careful. Will, will the, you know, that's great, but will they be able to make repayments on that? Absolutely. So their repayments will be will be probably slightly less than what the market rent would be. So if a couple like that is paying a 1000 in rent, um, the, the, the actual monthly mortgage payments will be less than that. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. That's yeah. incredible. It's, it's heartbreaking to hear that, incidentally, that rent is higher than mortgage. And it's and rent is dead money. Yeah, so there's obviously you know a shortage of, of supply out there, and um, if somebody can get their hands on a mortgage and, and they are able to qualify, in general, you're you're paying less on the mortgage than you are to rent the same property. So the same maths and equation is being used now as was years ago when houses were a lot cheaper, three and a half times salary. So three and a half times salary is what's allowed at the moment. Well, what, you still, was it was it used to be higher than that before? Yeah, so typically there, w- there was no central bank uh, multiple set, um, you know, in, in recent years up to up to maybe four or five years ago when this was introduced. And before that, you typically would see probably four and a half times income, um, and possibly more for for higher earners. So it, it is restricting people. Um, it is restricting people and how much they can so borrow. So what you, what what you did was you were able to go to, because you you're a broker, so you would have lots of different institutions to draw from, is it? Exactly. So we have eight agencies with different banks. So I, I know in my head, you know, someone like Hannah contacts me, well, it's not going to be bank A and B. It might be bank C and D. So I'll run the calculators for those. And, calculators and, and you can get different results for, for all the different banks. But based on the three and a half times their combined salary, they should have been offered two hundred and thirty-two thousand, but were actually offered one hundred and forty-nine. Well, should have or could have. Like that's that bank's credit policy, which they set. Yeah. So when they stress test the children in the background, that's the way they work it out, and they're entitled to do that themselves. Do, do you come across a lot of people, whether they're single, married? Together with children who are stressed out because they just can't get on the property ladder. Absolutely. So, you know, we have people that just because you've got your current account with a certain bank, lots of people just walk into that bank and try and get a a mortgage approval from them. And if they get knocked back, they get dejected. But what they don't think of is that there's nine other lenders in the market. There's 10 lenders in total. So just because one bank says no, doesn't mean that a second or a third bank will say yes. So, you know, get your ducks in a row. Like We're we're inundated with inquiries, especially since COVID, people whose employers maybe are availing of the EWSS even though somebody could be getting full pay, certain banks won't approve their applications, whereas others will. So just because one bank says, you know, we're, we're not willing to do this for whatever reason, 
there's nine other banks there. So come to a broker like ourselves, my mortgages, we'll we'll check out the other banks and we will, you know, try and get you there. Not, not always can we get it done immediately, but in most cases we can get there at some point. We might have to put a plan in place to maybe clear off some loans or save, save some more money or whatever it is. Uh, but we will get people there eventually. Okay, so for people that, the problem I'm hearing about is that people have had a deal done with the bank uh, and it's been done maybe pre-COVID, along comes COVID, they go on some sort of pandemic payment and as you said, a lot of the time their employers are topping up the wage so that they're not losing any money but the banks see that as too much of a risk and they withdraw the mortgage. Some banks have done that. Um, no, some banks have done that but what I'm talking about is even people applying today, let's say. Yeah. Many people um, whose employers are on the wage subsidy scheme, uh, what's now called the EWSS. So even though I might be receiving my full pay, if I'm earning 40000 my pay is 40000 a year. Whereas, unbeknownst to me, my employer could be claiming a subsidy in the background. Yes. And that's causing people issues. But can you not see bank. it from the... I mean, far be it for me to back up a bank, and I don't mean it to come across this way, but maybe the banks see it differently to you, and they say, okay, people are on uh, a payment now, they are in work, they are getting a full wage, but maybe their employer is only treading water and will actually close down when the payments end. Absolutely, and that's where this came from. So the central bank directed banks to... Um, you know, to, to to avoid that situation where you're giving somebody a mortgage today and they're in default tomorrow. So, but I suppose certain industries, you know, are more at risk than others. Whereas some banks are just taking a blanket view that we won't even give an approval in principle. Whereas others will they'll issue an approval in principle. They'll issue a loan offer when you're sale agreed. They may request you to be off the wage subsidy scheme before they let you draw down the funds. But at least you know you've got approval in principle and you could potentially get a loan offer. This is going to blow your mind. <clears throat> you may already know this, but this morning in the Times UK, they're saying the government in the UK are going to guarantee 95% of the mortgage under a scheme. They will compensate the banks in the event of a house buyer defaulting in the first seven years after the purchase of their home. Um, this is a new scheme where the house buyer also only needs to have a 5% deposit. Are you aware of that? Just hearing it now, Neil, that sounds, that sounds great. Um, I'm sure, given that there's a couple of banks, you know, have announced that they're potentially exiting the, the market here in the next, I suppose, the next year or two, um, music, that would be very welcome for the banking industry. I mean, I think it's an amazing, I mean, maybe there's, there's a risk involved for the government, but do they understand that it's important that people need to get out of rental, particularly if they have children, and get their own bricks and mortar and a roof over their head? I suppose, yeah, it gives people, um, it gives banks uh, protection, which will allow them to lend, be be a bit pluckier maybe when they are lending mortgages to people, um, which ultimately will house people and take them off, you know, the housing list and things like that. Okay, I, I'm going to talk with um, with Joanna Murphy, the auctioneer, in a moment, but have you any thoughts on the prices of houses now? Uh, they're, they're, they're up, aren't they? And they keep going up every quarter? Well, the demand seems to be unprecedented, Neil, and the... The supply is limited because even if you look at new 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 developments, builders can't get on site, so they can't bring houses to 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 a certain level to sell them and to complete them. So that's going to you know increase demand and a lack of supply is going to increase prices. And um, you know I suppose just from the mortgage point of view, what we would always say to people is that you know if you're buying a house for borrowing let's say three hundred thousand, you you can pay back a lot less money. So I suppose what people want to know is how much is this going to cost me on a monthly basis. So if you take a mortgage of 300000 over 35 years, you could vary rates, let's say, some variable rates might be 3.15 with certain banks. You could be paying 
1179 a month, which would be total interest of about 195,000 over 35 years, which is huge money on 300,000. Whereas if you were to take a 2.32 year fix with another competitor, you could reduce your mortgage by about 140 a month. Oh, for God's sake. Which, which would be 137,000 total interest, which would be the difference of 58,000 in interest paid over a 35 year Surely term. people know that when they're discussing mortgage. What is, what's the interest? What's it going to cost me? Because it's not free money. Do, do people study that enough? Well, what happens is people take out a mortgage with, with maybe the bank that they have their current account with, and then they kind of just put it on the long finger. They forget about it. They're paying it each month. Um, whereas what they should be doing is at least every three years, they should review that mortgage, uh, contact a broker like myself with my mortgages, and we will shop around. We will make sure that people are getting rid of their sky meal. They're not able to watch you know, football or rugby at home because they've got rid of their sky to save money. Whereas they could save a multiple of that um, you know, on switching their mortgage. So there would be, there's a big difference between interest rates available. Some as high as 47 and some as low as 1.9. 1.95 is, is the lowest with having money. So we have a huge amount of inquiries of people switching uh, to that rate. And we've seen cases where they're, they're literally having their interest rate, which is um, for the same product, you know. And is it possible for people who are looking forward now to flip out of a mortgage and, and move it to a lower provider? Absolutely. So you can you can move your mortgage and switch it at any point. Um, even if you're in a fixed rate, there might be no breakage fee to come out of a fixed rate. So e- even if your mortgage is only drawn down, you know, two or three years, you should be looking to um, switch it and see if you can save money. What's the price of a phone call? You know, co- contact us. We'll tell you in five minutes whether we can save you money or not. I've said it in the past. People should use brokers for car insurance. They should use brokers for house insurance. And they should certainly, on this conversation, be using brokers for a mortgage without a doubt because you've got all of them that you can choose and pick whatever suits. It's a super idea. Listen, Joey, thanks for taking the call. Hopefully, uh, um, you know, people will learn from it and maybe be a little bit more optimistic going forward. You're at mymortgages.ie. Appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thanks, Neil. Lines open to one 850 Pick it up after the break with regards to housing stock and availability and prices and lots more besides after these. Text The Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-810-4106. Red FM. So it would be an awful lot easier now for banks in the UK to give more mortgages, it would seem. If according to the Times, they're saying that the government will... You just need a 5% deposit in the UK. The bank gives you 95%. You put the 5% to it. Uh, and the government then compensates the bank in the event of you defaulting in the first seven years. I mean, it seems like a no-brainer. They're also saying that um, because of stagnating wages compared to the surge in property prices in the UK, it means that people in their 30s and 40s now are three times more likely in the UK to rent than, say, 20 years ago. But the impression I get from Joey Sheehan this morning is that most of the time, most of the time, a mortgage is cheaper than renting. Now, we spoke to Hannah in the last few days and she's promised to contact us again when she can get keys for her dream home for herself and her family in Ballincollig. And we're very happy to be part of her success story and thanks to Joy. But what is the story then with regards to uh, buying or even viewing properties? Joanna Murphy and Son Auctioneers joins me by phone. Joanna is on line one. Joanna, good morning. Like, just, just looking at it here, you guys aren't even working except virtually, is it? 
Yeah, so basically at the moment, if you want to view a property, you have to have a sale agreed on a property. And then you can bring that person in to see the house. But why would you have sale agreed on something that you hadn't physically gone to visit? Absolutely, it's a ridiculous system. And you know what, my fear is that when they do that and they go into the property then, oh, we don't want to buy it. It's just a complete waste of time. And like virtual viewings are fine, but I think they're there for the first viewing as opposed to the viewing that dictates you buying the house for the rest of your life. Do you know what I mean? So the virtual viewing is like a 360 tour of the house on a laptop. Absolutely, yeah. 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 And then and you're saying it, that they would have to agree the sale then. Does that mean sign contracts or, or no? No, no, no. Sale agreed, no, they don't. They just have to basically put an offer in and that offer be accepted. And then that person has the right to go in. Well, not has the right, but can go and view that property. And there's no... Now, I, have, I have sold one successfully that way. But... Absolutely, but it's just not the right system. And I do, and I mean, I know every sector is fighting to be able to go back to work, but I do think the auctioneers had a very safe protocol in place before this lockdown, where you had, you know, two people from the one family, everyone had to hand sanitize, mask, etc., and it worked fantastically. So viewing with masks, only two from one household and all that kind of thing. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. But, and I mean, but, even to the extent of putting foot gloves on your, on your shoes, you know? Yeah, but... Like, how how did you know that they were even interested? They could have just been nosy. Well, if you if you like, you cannot show a house prior to this lockdown. You wouldn't, and even to this lockdown, even with the state agreed, they have to have proof of funding. Now, I agree with that because I think proof of funding should be provided anyway prior to a viewing, because that eliminates then you know a bit of time wasting. That you know that person has got their funds in place, and if they go and view a property, they can then put an offer in. Is it true that some auctioneers are taking deposits ahead of a viewing? I haven't heard that. I did at the weekend where somebody was asked really? for a deposit, yeah. And then they were waiting, they would give the deposit, I suppose, transfer the money and wait and wait and wait for a viewing and it never came. Oh, I, I see, I just don't think that's right. I really don't. And I think that, you know, what's, what's after, I think what it's causing is a lot of anxiety amongst buyers and sellers because people obviously don't want to put their house on the market till lockdown is over. Now they're dripping into the market now so the supply is improving. But there's just a lot of anxiety and then obviously lack of supply will lead to price increases, you know, um, which then is a problem in itself. Now property is going to go up. There's no two ways about it. Why? But as Joey, well, I just think that it's, it's the way the market is. But like Joey Sheehan said there, I think that if the banks can kind of curtail their mortgage increases and keep them at a good rate, and the property prices go up a small but at a steady pace, not too much, not to the Celtic Tiger prices, then we'll be fine. You said, though, that for the second quarter, there's been, correct me if I'm wrong, a 7.6% increase. 7.6%, and actually, some, they've actually gone up to 10%, some of them. The now, where is quarter. this? This is in urban areas, is it? Are there key yeah, areas so you're like, talking I'm, about? Uh, yeah, so I'm coming from Cove, so it's a commuter town, and I'm sure other commuter towns. And the, 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 the thing about commuter towns at the moment is that you have the Tonish and Leah Vraga, who have very responsibly now put in the fact that they're going to have business hubs in these rural towns, and people are going to be promote people working from home. So people now are looking looking for a work-life balance, good transport system, want to get out of, some of them want to get out of the city, want to be able to go to these towns or villages. And that then will, that's why the property prices in these areas are going up. Oh, so because of these hubs and people working from home, they will be able to work in smaller towns and villages. Absolutely. They won't need to be near a city. Nope. That in itself has a negative effect on property prices. Well, positive for the seller, but not the buyer. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I mean, like I was looking at, I was reading the uh, the Assembly Independent dinner yesterday, and the property, like 
it was just interesting even regarding mortgages. Um, 200,000 homeowners are paying 4.7% on a mortgage rate when they could probably avail of a 1.95%. Why? What, just pick up, because that's a point I made to Joey Sheehan. Is that because yeah. people feel that they have to go to the bank that they've always banked with and they're lucky to get a mortgage at all? So they don't question interest rates. I think sometimes people, you know, to get a mortgage is a lot of paperwork. And I think it puts people, you know, the amount of time it takes to get a mortgage, I think it puts people off. And then they say, well, look, if we have to go now shopping around, are we going to have to go and do all that paperwork again? So that's what kind of puts them off. But we all shop around for ASB, we shop around for our gas, our phone. We need to start shopping around for our mortgages. Is it always the case that a mortgage is cheaper than renting? 100%. 100%. More, average rent down here in Cove is €1,200 Euros a month. The average uh, mortgage repayment, I think, is 750 800 and maybe even less. So can you understand why people are so demoralised? 100%. And rent. the whole pandemic, they've had time to save. So now you have the first-time buyer who is so active in the market at the moment. Now, the first-time buyer, I do feel... I mean, not that I feel sorry for them, but I do feel a lot of them... You know, they don't know how to buy a house. They don't know the steps involved in buying a house. And I do think it's the responsibility of auctioneers countrywide that they do explain to them the process, give them a bit of advice. And that would be, I find that the most vulnerable in the market are the first-time buyers and the person that's downsizing because they wouldn't have sold their house or bought a house for 30 years. Why is the first-time buyer vulnerable? Is it because they're young and they don't understand the importance of amenities? They don't know or... how to on a house. They don't know. Like, uh, the first question a first-time buyer say to me when they come and stay a house... Uh, do you know how, how do how, like how do we put a bid in? What do we do? You know what does our solicitor do for us? How do we get a you know how do we get to the next stage? So you have to explain the process to them, which is a good thing. But do and they I mean, ask questions like what are the schools like? Um, you know oh, what's the transport like? like? Lo- what's yeah, the like leisure location. activity? Yeah, location, 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 and that's why the towns and villages that have a good transport system, a good uh, schooling system, amenities, lifestyle, uh, leisure. A business hub, as I mentioned, if you have all those facilities within a town or a village, or even the city, obviously, it's just, that's imperative when you're buying a house. And just looking at your own market area, which is the Great Highland, I know you do others yeah. as well, but just in the Great Highland, do you, do you have much housing stock on your books for sale right now? It's dripping in, definitely, but prior to 10 days ago, no. And why did the last 10 days make a difference? Because I suppose lockdown is, we're coming to, um, hopefully we're coming to the stage where auctioneers can go back to work, I'm I'm hoping in May, properly. And, you know, when that happens um, and we start to come back, will those buyers also be up against um, people who want to buy the properties to rent? Yeah, like, the, the, are you talking about the investor, is it? Investors creeping back yeah, into the so market. the investors creeping back into the market, there's no two ways about it. The investors coming back in, and I've seen that more so in the last couple of months, because if you have money on deposit on the bank, you're going to be charged for that. So they're saying, to, well, we might as well go in and buy a property. They can buy a property, hopefully not with a mortgage, or maybe half mortgage, half half their savings. Go in and rent it, they're going to get €1,200 a month for the house. Um, maybe employ myself as an agent or some other agent to manage it, or go in and do it themselves. It's, it's, you know, for, from, a, from an investment point of view, buying a property is a no-brainer if you can afford it, mm-hmm. 100%. So are we looking at the 20-somethings and the 30-somethings, you know, still in difficulty with regards to getting out of the rental market? Yeah, I think so. But that hopefully, like, I mean, there's been landlords around since what? The 16th century. So I suppose they're always going to be around. You know, not everyone's going to be able to afford to buy a house and it's going to come in cycles. But there's more and more young people now 
getting on the property ladder. I've seen. What do you need? Well, what do you year. need? What do you need as a deposit? Like typically for a young person, do you need thirty grand? Sorry, ten percent. Ten percent. You need ten percent. Yeah, and, and for an investor, it's twenty percent. So and for a second time owner, a second time buyer, um, it's twenty percent. Okay, so for a young couples starting out, they need ten percent of the purchase price, which yeah. for a three bedroom semi would be what two fifty three three fifty two hundred thirty five two hundred forty grand. And into the city, is it another hundred on top of that? Absolutely, I think they're they're around the three hundreds now at the moment. Okay, so you need to have thirty grand and a good yeah. job. Yeah, yeah, and then and, and then. And then is there enough houses then to buy or to bid on? Well, I suppose from the second housing, I would do a lot of the second-hand market. They're dripping in, as I said, but there's a lot, also a lot of new developments being built. But not everybody wants to move into a new development. They want to go into a more established estate. So there has to be choice there for the buyer, is what I'm saying. But you guys just want to be able to get back into physical viewings. I just, yeah, I just find it's a complete waste of time at the moment. I really do. And I feel that it's just it's the anxiety that it's causing amongst every, everyone is what I would be quite concerned about. And I just think it's quite safe to go into a house. Normally, the owners of the house would leave two hours before you go into your viewing and they wouldn't come back till two hours afterwards. And are those that want to sell their houses saying the same thing to you, that they are desperate to get so, get sold and get, get the deal Absolutely. done? Absolutely, and they want to move on and they're going to miss out on houses that are coming up. And also you have a lot of international buyers now buying in the likes of, well, for, for us in Cove anyway, and from the city and from anywhere, you have international buyers now coming in who want to buy in Ireland. They can, and, and period properties are another thing. What's that an international in the buyer? They, I have a lot of clients now who would be from Ireland who are living in, could be Australia, could be Dubai, could be the States. They're not going to be able to come home for a while, so they want to buy a property. They buy a property here off me. They say, right, John, can you go away and rent it? Or they might have it as their holiday home. And that's happening more and more. There's a lot of people from the UK moving to Ireland now. And period properties, you said. They're the, the, the period big, properties big old stately little. homes, is it? Yeah, people want the period houses. Um, there's always, always a cycle for them, but period houses don't come up that often because when people buy them, they hang on to them for about 30 years and then they come on the market. But who's buying so big period on, houses really for, for big money? It's probably millionaires, is it? No, because period houses are still quite affordable. Like you could buy a period house, um, anything from, oh my word, 550 up to maybe 1.5 million, depending. And depending on the area, obviously. Good luck trying to heat that. <laughs> and I suppose if, if an area is kind of like, I suppose, from from um, the, the Great Island perspective, um, we'd have a lot of development due to happen here over the next, I suppose, 10 years. And that will then encourage people to say, we better buy in Cove now because maybe we won't be able to buy here in 10 years' time. Can I ask you a question so, before I let you go? Yeah. How, how yeah. does a person who is bidding on a house know that there aren't fake bids or makey-uppy bids? How do they know that it's honest? They don't know, but I suppose it comes down to the relationship they have with the auctioneer and the trust. And I think that's really important is that, you know, you are providing a service. You as an auctioneer are providing a service to the person, both the person who's selling the house. But how do you even know that the person selling the house hasn't got fake bidders? Like you don't know, do you? What do you mean? Like, yeah, but if they're going to put a bid in, if they're going to put a bid in in the house. Yeah. Like, I got a house and you're handling it and I have mates and I get my mates to call you and put in fake bids and then a genuine you're bidder is... Know. You're not going to know, but I will ask for proof of funding. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah. So the proof... So you have... A, you'll be able to identify... Yeah, 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 
Yeah. Gone are those days where people, and I know what you're saying, because that probably did happen wholesale. But now I want to see the proof of funding and I want to see it for the full amount of the house that they're bidding on. Okay, okay. All right, best of luck. No idea as to when you will be back, but uh, sooner rather than well, later. Hopefully soon, if anyone's listening. <laughs> Thanks for taking the call as Thanks always. Cheers for now. Thank you. Murphy.com, 1850-104-106. Lot of texts on this and lots more besides. I'll have a quick chat with John just ahead of the ad break. No, I won't. I'll take a break because he's not there right now. Back after these. Talk to Neil Printerville now. 1851-04106. Red FM. That's amazing because there's a text on that actually. Hi Neil, can you talk about fake bids which I found out at the weekend are perfectly legal by all accounts? Well, they might be. They may not be illegal because you may not be able to prove it, but they're certainly not morally right. Right. Just picking up on that, actually. Uh, just uh, Hi, Neil. Just on the housing market, myself and my partner just bought our first home through Joanna Murphy. She was absolutely amazing to deal with, so professional, but also gave us the amazing personal advice we needed. We started looking back in November and she was with us the whole way through. Can't thank her enough, says Rachel and Connor. Don't be afraid to ask questions, you know. I mean, if you don't know, there's not, no reason why you should say, listen, I'm new to this. I'm green. I need help. Uh, my questions might sound stupid, but bear with me. Because no question is a stupid question, really. Absolutely. And, you know, you need to talk to brokers as well because they have the choices. And people are asking me, you know, but ah, yeah, but you got to pay brokers and stuff like that. And not so sure about that. I mean, I, I can double check on it, but the banks pay the broker. The banks pay the broker. So it's great for people. You know, they're, I mean, I can double check. There might be a nominal fee, but it's not going to be a whole lot. And it's the banks that really pick up uh, the tab with regards to the broker. But it's like anything else. You know, there's, they've got an awful lot more choice than you as a punter. Uh, going around to seven, eight or nine different lending agencies when they have all of them on the books and do it themselves. And the businesses would, you know, benefit by having all of these banks on the books because the banks are paying them. Anyway, lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. I think John is there now. John, good morning. Morning, Neil. Okay, we're covering as much ground as I can on this. You wanted to add to it? Yeah, a couple of points. You know, that woman that's uh, applied for the mortgage and she told the bank she had four kids. That was a mistake she made. If she told them she had two, she would probably have got the money because the banks uh, have a certain criteria. You have to have so much money. You are dead for right. Each choi- they do. For each child. Yeah. She yeah. said that to me in the interview back in the day, actually, that they make, mm-hmm. they, they, they compute as to how much it will char- cost you to rear a child, the banks. That's correct. But, but, but amazingly, the government wouldn't come anywhere close to it if you were trying to sustain a child on your own with I'll the d- same amount of money. If you were to go over, if you were to tell the government that you, need, you needed the same amount of money to sustain a child as the bank I demands. Know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, the other thing now is... Like, well, I mean, you understand the banks, they don't want people to be defaulting on their mortgage. You know? Well, you see, the thing about it is an anti-family thing. Um, it's an anti-family thing. If you if you have four children, you have you have a got you have a, a right to get a mortgage uh, to suit uh, your 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 uh, your situation. Yeah, but only uh, only on the basis that you can repay it. Yeah, yeah, but the two of them have good two good jobs. Maybe the mortgage could be stretched out another another bit longer. And I and mean, also, why would you be paying four point seven if you can get yeah. it for one point three? Like well the, banks, well, 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 the banks are borrowing money at, at, at zero cost, but they're living off the fat of the land again by charging people through the nose for mortgages. You're spot on again. You are dead right again. They are charging big interest of 4.7 when they're getting the money from bigger international firms, of course, for for close to zero. Yeah, but banks never had any models anyway, you know, so that wouldn't come as any shock to the people, you know. 
But the Sunday Independent yesterday said that 200,000 homeowners are paying 4.7% interest on their mortgage when they could yeah. be paying just under 2%. That's correct. They're paying twice yep. as much, over twice as much interest as they should be. But, but, but sure, we have a situation now where people can't compete with the county councils and the other city councils because they can buy a house with any money that they want. Because um, uh, but don't don't they also? I mean, they don't give they don't give whatever you're looking for to buy your house. They they please tell me that they're competitive on the prices they pay. No, no, well, the city city, city councils and and, and uh, what you call it, and uh, they 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 have a, a budget and they can they can outbid you in a house because they want to turn it into social housing. So you could be bidding against city council or county council for a three-bedroom semi? Absolutely, yeah, yeah. And this is all down there to Mr. Courtney. In what way? Not sure Mr. Courtney was the Minister for Housing. Well, uh, you know, which was another ironic situation because of the situation he was the landlord himself. You know, yeah, rent, diff- went, rent, rent, rent went up, didn't it? The average rent now... And this is not in the city, this is in the county. She was saying on the island, it's 1200 a month. And a mortgage yeah. in a property down in Cove, Rushbrook, mm-hmm. areas like that, yeah. 800 yeah. a month. Yeah, but sure, as long as the banks will give money to, 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 to what you call it, to, to favourite people, for, for to uh, buy houses so they can rent them. Uh, and with, with, uh, with the government sitting on the sideline, uh, with the hands on, uh, sitting on the other hand, you'll, you'll see no change. Okay, one thing we learned here this morning, if nothing else, is the people, even with a mortgage, should be going and seeing and visiting a broker to switch mortgages yeah, for less and, interest. Absolutely. And, and, one, and one, one, one last thing now before I go. Tell me, when you do get the mortgage, how will your medical uh, insurance on the house come in now that if uh, the banks turn around and say, well, you've had COVID, you'll probably get it again and you won't be able to pay the mortgage? How is that going to work? Do you, think there's a, be a, do you believe there will be a COVID caveat added to mortgages that... Well, it's on your debt policy because if you die from COVID, you died from an un, uh, an un, what you call this, uh, an, an uncurable disease, and uh, there's no pay out in your debt policy. Ah, no, back up there. What are you saying? There isn't. That's not true. You have a life insurance well, policy well, that won't no, pay out for yeah. somebody who died of COVID. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I I know of I know of an instance of it. So, like, I'm, I'm telling you what I know. That's, that, that makes no sense. That's like saying a life insurance policy wouldn't pay out if you died of flu. Well, well, it is a flu, but it's a flu virus. But uh, I know I'd have to check. I'd have to check that, John, because that sounds or, or, alarming to or, me. Or, or do by by don't 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 be slow in covering because listen, they won't even cover your holiday insurance. Never mind the debt policy. Okay, I'll have to check it though. I'll have to check oh, do, it. Yeah. All right. Oh, do okay. I, I, I wish you would and bring it back on here so that people, can, All right. anybody who's been in the, that uh, unfortunate situation can uh, can make a comment on that. Uh, anyway, Jar says the banks don't give anything for free. Um, <laughs> that's not their job. I mean, you know, they're a yeah. business at the end of the day and they're all about risk management. Thanks for that, John. Thanks, John Byrne. On another note, um, just to text you, Ireland is definitely anti-family, as John Byrne says. If you put, if you put, if, I'll come back to that in a few minutes' time. I'll just clean it up in the meantime. People are also asking for Joey Sheehan's details. It's www.mymortgages.ie or you can pick up the phone on 42 Double seven zero seven three. I actually sorry about this. I thought there was an ad break there. My apologies. So I'll come back to that in a few minutes' time. Keep the text coming. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. On another note, Ireland is definitely anti-family. If you put uh, in a hotel staycation for two adults and two kids, you get a certain price. If you're put in a hotel 
for two adults and three kids, it's almost double in certain places. People are being forced to pretend that they have less kids. I was speaking to a woman this morning who was trying to book a staycation. She's going to pretend her four-year-old doesn't exist so that she can get something affordable. It's nuts. It's always been that way, hasn't it? For some reason, and I'd love an explanation for it, if you go into a hotel, it's two adults and two children. The minute that it's two adults and three children... Everything changes for some reason. Um, and there's still a lot of other texts and different topics of conversation across the morning. But if you have anything with regards to uh, housing or mortgages or the amount you're paying on a mortgage or rent, do get in touch. A great show. I was listening to your program on Friday to the person who kept saying it doesn't matter when she gets her vaccine and then saying it's unfair to have to wait for the Pfizer if you choose, uh, because this is about choice and consequence, to forget the AstraZeneca vaccine, then the consequence is delay in when you get one. Why is that hard to understand? Point being, if you don't take what you're being offered, go back to the end of the queue. A lot then on um, Stephen Donnelly. I'm not a fan of Stephen Donnelly, but I admire what he said about the mandatory hotel quarantine when he said, referencing to the Italian ambassador, he said he was going to protect the Irish people by quarantining people in hotels. Tim says at least he stood up for the Irish. Um, What's this guy watching? I also watched and heard Stephen Donnelly on primetime. And despite some very tough questions, I believe he handled himself very well. One final one on that. You must have been watching a different interview to the one I saw. I didn't see Stephen Donnelly throwing his toys out of the pram, as Neil suggested. He was saying that they're doing the best for Ireland and weren't going to be told by the European Commission or the Italian ambassador what to do with quarantining in Ireland. He also said that he didn't care about the tweets, that there are more things to worry about. I don't think you should allow people on your show again, giving an opinion on a show unless you watch the show yourself. That's never going to happen. I mean, you're suggesting that I would have to watch every single thing on television ever. And of course, I can never, ever do that. Uh, But I'm assuming that people are going to come on are going to be accurate. But anyway, people's interpretation of one story isn't always the same as everybody else's. Either way, we'll pick it up after 11. Hey, it's Dave. Join me weekdays from four for Dave Max Drive, where I'll help get you home or give you a little lift at home. Big hits, loads of fun features and traffic info. What more could you need? Join me weekdays from four. Dave Max Drive. You're listening to the Emerald Award-winning Music Station of the Year, Cork's Red FM. No, it's not something that I watch a whole lot, Philip, he says, but online over the weekend, he said, I couldn't get over the nasty comments about the Queen of England and Prince Philip. Is it just me or did any other people notice it? Well, not me because I wasn't reading those kind of things, but if others did, perhaps they might like to share. I know, Maybe it had to, I don't know what the nasty comments were. I mean, some people might have had their feathers ruffled by the fact that the tricolour was at half-mast, but I'm not too sure. Is that what you're talking about? I thought it was quite, I did see a photograph of the Queen and she was sitting in there all on her own in black with a mask on and I felt very sorry for her elderly woman sitting on her own like that. Uh, I'm over 60 and my reluctance to take the Astra is because it's the weakest vaccine against variants and has been proved in the South Africa and Brazil variants. The MRSA vaccines such as Pfizer and Moderna are the gold standard and are very good against variants. Under the ex- You're spot on, actually, of your research done, Ken. Under the existing rollout plan, those between 60 and 69 are the only cohort who will get the AstraZeneca vaccine, while everyone else will get the gold standard, Pfizer and Moderna. Simple as, says Ken by email. Uh, Carrie says, I think it's so wrong that the 60 to 69s are singled out for the AstraZeneca regardless of their health. The AZ only offers 60% protection, whereas the others offer 95. It's not the safest issue uh, it, it is not is it is not the safety issue. It's the level of protection. Therefore, you'll have a sixty-five-year-old with uh, fibrosis having a sixty percent, 
and a fine healthy 35-year-old with 95% protection. How is that right? The EU are not ordering any more AstraZeneca, so the rest of the fine healthy population will have great protection and the vulnerable within 6069 will still be at risk. Morning, my first cousin in New York was given a choice of vaccines yesterday. You're spot on there, Michael. You are spot on. They were offered. Um, which one would you like? To hell with this government, he says. Bring in Sinn Féin as we want facts and not this trio of idiots. And then, fair play to Pat. I think he's going to be in touch with us a long time going forward. He's got canaryislandtips.com. And he says, tourists arriving in Spain in June with a European digital green certificate showing they've been vaccinated, will not need to do any PCR test. You also agree that Cork Airport needs to upgrade their runway, and I'm sure it takes time to put together. I'm afraid I have to disagree that there would be no demand in September, as the airport said. There will be demand in September. There will be. And that's Canary Island tips, and he'd know because he's seeing the people going out there in September, year in, year out. Uh, could you please find out once and for all when house viewings will be going ahead again? A lot are doing viewings if there are no occupants, but I'm looking for a date for normal viewings to resume, says Jordan Clark. I've covered that topic. There is no date. We're on this roadmap, and it could well be part of the plan maybe for May. I don't know. But right now, it's uh, virtual and online. So you might have heard my conversation with Joanna Murphy on that one. Uh, keep those texts coming. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. Can I do a few shout-outs if you don't mind? I want to talk to John Roach in a second. But um, some shout-outs that we've been getting. And I love this. Cork's most missed bar person. We're rolling this out online. Getting a great response to it. Who are you missing behind the counter? Who can you wait? Not, who, who can't you wait to see as soon as possible? Well, Eileen Martin is one of them, the owner of Callahan's Bar in Coachford. Always waiting with a smile and a chat for you, especially on a Sunday when the Eileen special is waiting. It's a double hot toddy with a slice of orange and a bit of honey to cure you on the house. <laughs> On the house. <laughs> Sean McGrath from McGrath's Bar in Ballycotton. Mick Carlos, the roaring donkey's cranky barman. The pigeon, nearly 40 years pulling pints and taking the mick. Many may claim the title, but Mick Carlos, the roaring donkey, is the king of them all. The great Micka. Donna O'Leary, one of Blackpool's most famous and loved barmaids. She always has a friendly smile and a great listener to the customer's problems. And your pint would be pulled even before you ask for it. She's simply the best. And just two or three more. It has to be Larry Tompkins. He comes out and chats to each and every one of his customers, says Shane. Gavin O'Leary, the best barman in Carrigaline United Clubhouse Bar. Can't wait to get back there, says Ken. And just two more. Paul and Erica O'Halloran from Ryan's Bar in Cove. Friendly to everyone in Cove and to all of the tourists. Remember them? We miss them so much, says Claire. Paul and Erica Hanlon. O'Halloran, I should say, Ryan's Bar. And Aaron Ferguson pulls by far the best pint of Murphy's in all of West Cork, says Audron. Best pint in West Cork. Won't be long now, says he. Won't be long now. Lines open at one 106 John Roach, good morning. Morning, Neil. I was talking on Friday about the different prices between branded goods and uh, own brand, you know, unbranded stuff. There can be a huge difference for the same product, big price differences. And I was wondering as to, you know, why there was such a big difference in price. You, you worked in, in food factories or processing in the UK. Was that a long time ago? That was back in the early 90s, Neil, um, in, in Northampton. Okay. And what did uh, you work with? It. Um, it was spices and pepper and salt and all these different food additives in that particular company. But um, 
I was part of the pepper mill run. I was kind of like the in charge of that. It was on four floors, and there were there were shakers on each floor where the pepper was grilled up and and grinded on the top floor. It would be shaken down to a thing that was separating from the good pepper and the bad pepper mm. and the shells and down to the second floor then where it would be put into hoppers uh, in Mac 1, 2 and 3 but depending like a gold one was the pure white pepper that normally went to kind of medications and different uh, outlets. Yeah, yeah. The middle one then would be the white pepper that we would buy in our supermarkets as a rule and then the other one in the third bin would be the black shells the, the basically the discounts and they would be used in food additives put certain supermarkets bought them to put on their shelves okay and they they would they were graded in three different ways the best middle and the worst kind of thing correct yeah 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 and um, and was it the same was it the same with different uh, would you work with cakes and with pies and different things like that yeah the, the factory came to a surmise and um, it burnt down because there was always fires there and dust and things like that so while he was closed for a couple of months, they, they, they sent us up north of England um, and we were working in a food factory up there where we were adding additives to plum puddings, Christmas cakes and stuff like that. All these were tinned items, were tinned items that were uh, sought out again to all the various supermarkets. And again, it would be the higher, the higher price stuff that you buy would have had the good brandy in and the cheaper, low-grade stuff would have a cheap brandy kind of uh, like I don't know, like Remy Mountain would be something like that would be added, and then there would be a milder one, and so on down along the line. And that would be into a Christmas cake or a plum pudding. Christmas cake, plum pudding. So I suppose th- based on the ingredients that go in, then that dictates the price on the shelf. Yeah, correct. That's but, exactly how it is. But but why do I see a huge difference in price? Sometimes three and four times different prices, and say biscuits and cereals and jam and relishes and things like that. That question I couldn't really answer. If you want to answer for was the cakes. I knew the difference was there was cheaper ingredients put in in the sense of the the, the amounts of whiskey or the amounts of brandy uh, put into each product would, would vary and that would reflect on the price at the end of the line. Or the amount of fruit maybe as well? Uh, no, I, I did that I couldn't say, Neil, because it looked like there were all the, the tins would come to us with no markings on them and we would inject the... Uh, and we were told this line is uh, run number one. So we would inject... The better um, stuff, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. They, they add the additives to that, the, the alcohol to it. It would go up and then you'd be saying, this is run number two. But when you go outside and you'd see when they're being mapped up, run number two would have uh, certain supermarkets' names on them. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, and would and you be able that, to tell the difference in taste then as well, yeah? No, um, not, not, not particularly in taste because I didn't really eat the stuff there. Yeah. When you walk in these food factories, Neil, you do not put it in your mouth. You see, I don't. Uh, why not? You just don't. I mean, it's like everything else, isn't it? It's I, 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 I just don't. I mean, you just don't put your fingers in and taste it. I'd love to be a taster in a cake factory, though. <laughs> Great job. <laughs> well, if that's the case, then apply to Beamish. Is there for me for a job? <laughs> would you like to be a Beamish stout taster? You would. <laughs> I would. Well, on Murphy's, I'll take any of them. I wouldn't be fussy. It might be okay for a week or two, but I'd say you'd even get fed up with tasting stout. It's like everything, you know, when you're mm-hmm. sur- surrounded by it every day. <laughs> I wouldn't say that so easily, no, neither. All right. Well, I put oh, in it's... a good word for you next time I meet somebody from Beamish <laughs> or Murphy's. <laughs> okay. Good morning, Jim. And you too. Have a good day, John. Bye bye. Bye bye. 
This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Tweet the show at Neil Red FM. 104 to 106 Red FM. Yes, indeed. Do keep your uh, rental and your mortgage application texts. And you can also email if you have a story to share, Neil, at redfm.ie. But this is a very interesting one. I so hope this works out for this person. Neil, have a deposit ready. Currently, we're paying €1,900 a month. And we've been doing so for nearly seven years now, still waiting to hear on approval for our mortgage. Well, I don't know where you're buying or you have your deposit ready and, you know, you'll get the approval. Maybe you have an idea. Is it in the suburb somewhere? Is it a little further afield? You know, with the world changing now and more and more people will be working from home or will have flexibility about when they go into work. I mean, not everybody, people in retail clearly won't, I suppose. Uh, But it means now maybe you'll be able to go further afield and maybe get properties that aren't as expensive as in the Cork City suburbs. You know, like it's an awful shame because the amount you're paying there, 1900 a month, it's probably seven or 800 euro more than you would on a a mortgage, you know? So it'll be such a wonderful thing when you get that mortgage because your price of outgoing, your cost and outgoings will just drop and you'll find that you actually have more money, you know, to do the things that you want with it rather than giving it to um, uh, dead money and rent. So I hope that works out for you. I'm sure there are other people in a similar scenario to all of that. It's disturbing though, that on top of you bidding against everybody else, you're also bidding against Cork City Council and you're also bidding against Cork County Council on properties. There was an ad out the other day that Cork County Council were advertising and looking for one-bedroom properties and they were willing to buy them from people. Imagine they also are looking for two and three beds. Don't know how much money they have, but you're bidding against them as well. And on the topic then of fake bidding, uh, I think somebody's saying that maybe I just missed the point. Fake bids are put in by some auctioneers, not the vendor's friends, as you said, not friends of the seller. Sometimes it's the auctioneer. A buyer needs proof of funds, but the auctioneers don't need to show proof of anything. The market is totally set up for the sellers. You should dig into this deeper, please. What he's suggesting, or she's suggesting, I'm not sure which, is that that what an auctioneer would put in a fake bid to drive the prices up so that the auctioneer would then get more in commission for the sale of the house kind of thing. Okay, good point. I hope it's not happening. but And if it is, I hope it's very, very few auctioneers would engage in that kind of carry on. Anyway, we talked a little bit more about property and God knows there's enough of vacant ones around our city and suburbs. We talked about that last week on air. But at least there is some good news for a change. Tommy Gould, Sinn Féin TD for Cork's North Central. Tommy, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Just on, just before I get to your topic, are you aware of that, that people who are trying to buy a house are now bidding against the council as well? Well, I know that the council do purchase properties, but I know that they're very um, cognitive that if people are praying for properties, so I, I've never heard of them going into kind of a bidding war on a property. I know that they do try to get them, but um, yeah, they, they've been buying properties for years now because the, the problem is just the housing crisis, the amount of people on waiting lists. But I don't think it's right for them to be driving up house prices and driving people, forcing people to have to borrow more. So, But even if they're not going into bidding and they're just being offered the houses off the books, is it still even fair then that that house is withdrawn because the council got it and people who are trying to get on the housing market don't get an opportunity to bid on it at all? It is. It is, but I do know, Neil, that some people who would have been council tenants who would have bought their council house off the property sometimes sell them back to the council 
Uh, I dealt with the case last week now with uh, a lady um, she must have bought the house 30 years ago her family are growing up now she's a widow, she's living alone you know, so she's looking t- and she thought of sending it back to the council but your point then is Yeah, but that's not what I'm talking about Like years and years ago the city hall and the corporation built houses now they're buying private houses Yeah, and I tell you Neil it shouldn't happen because there's actually people out there now at the moment the amount of people that have contacted me uh, in the last couple of years, you're talking about hundreds of people who are trying to buy houses who can't get them. It's after changing you now, more and more people are trying to get mortgages. And because you, you just said it there earlier, rents are so high, it's actually cheaper to buy a house. Like, do we ever think that we live in a situation where it's cheaper to own a house than it is to rent? That's right. And yeah. that's all down to supply. Now, we had a small bit of good news today, say, Kevin's Hospital site. Uh, in the old Lee Road that I've been fighting for for years. Oh, right. Kevin's commission. massive property. What's happening there? Yeah. 266 houses will see planning permission to small and for more on board Planola. And uh, as you know, over the years, we've spoken about that site and there's more room there, I believe, for more. But at least we've got 266 <laughs> no planning passed. But there needs to be done a lot of work on infrastructure. And But does that mean the demolition of the building then? No, they're actually going to try to keep the facade and what they're going to do is uh, there's going to be buildings behind it so you'll have three-storey and two-storey buildings then and because you know it's on the hill you, you'll have, it's actually did you, if anyone wanted to go on and look at it online it's, it's very impressive the design they've come up with. That's a bit of good news, 260, what, three beds? Two, 266 is a mixture of two and three bedrooms. Okay, okay. okay. Now, so that's like Another, yeah. another, another bit of good news is um, Allen Square up Grana Braha. We spoke about this in the past, and uh, there's been a lot. Anyway, pick up the story, retrofitting going on, wasn't there? Yes, well, Neil, if you remember, I, uh, for your listeners, in 2016, there was houses done. There was three blocks of houses done on Wolf Town Street. But then there was other areas in Wolf Town Street and Allen Square and surrounding areas that weren't. And they... They came, they came home one day and the council were insulating a derelict house, a vacant house. And the resident says, why are they retrofitting the empty houses when the people who are actually living in the houses are freezing and are damp and have mould? So they held a protest and then we went into City Hall and we had another protest and we met with engineers. And in the end, after campaigning together with the community, we had a meeting with Valerie O'Sullivan, who was the director of housing at the time. And she gave a commitment that the council would apply for funding. They got the funding last uh, 2019. They started the work in January last year. Now, because of COVID, it was held up, but the work finished last week. And the, the people are delayed because some of the houses were finished over the summer and they said the fuel bills are down now 50%. The houses are warm because of the... the um, the uh, solar panels on the roof, they have constant hot water. It's a really positive story, and the whole area looks better, Neil. They've got new windows and doors. Now, these were very old properties, 60, 70 years old. They had never been insulated. I see but the story, different. actually. Um, you can still view the story. It's um, something we dealt with back in on the, the 8th of September 2016. Residents of Allen Square and Gronobroha are vowing to continue their protest over the cold and the damp conditions of their homes until the council agrees to resolve the, resolve the problem. So people power one out, you think? And, yeah, and that's it, Neil. Like, 
to be fair to yourself, you gave a great coverage, and it just shows, like, sometimes people are saying to me, you're always protesting. But it shows the power when communities come together and stand together for something that's right. And the, the thing about it, Neil, it's very good for the people who live there, it's very good for the area, but it's also good for the environment because people are spending less on fossil fuels, less on electricity, so it's a win situation for everyone. Yeah, yeah. And it's good to come on and talk to you about a positive thing that we've got done. But right in the middle, the nucleus of your electoral area is Blackpool, and yet it yeah. is still... By and large, a forgotten about village. If, if you remember, there about three weeks ago, the Taoiseach announced 405 million euros to be spent in Cork. Yes. The Docklands now will ride across. Yeah. There wasn't one penny out of that 405 million euros for the North Side. And we went away and I raised the issue uh, with Cork City Council. I'm actually looking for a me- an emergency meeting with them because. Are you being on to different departments in the government wanting to know what is the problem? Why are they neglecting the north side? And just to let you and your listeners know, Cox City Council have a development plan for 2015 to 2020, which is the outline of what they want to do in the city. And the one area that's mentioned more than any other area in the development plan is Blackpool. Now, I looked for a regeneration plan for Blackpool seven or eight years ago. I walked Blackpool with Tim Lucy when he was the city manager eight or nine years ago. And Blackpool is like the forgotten area. Like anyone who drives through it now, now the council will say they'll build, they have a couple of number of housing projects in there. But the whole area needs a regeneration because Blackpool, like you know the history of Blackpool, it's got fabulous history, brilliant people, mm. and the amount of dereliction and vacant But you see, they don't know, know, they probably don't know who owns the derelict businesses or the derelict buildings. They, you know, and trying to find them or, you know, like, I don't know how many people get fined. Like, do, do we actually, do we even give out the fines? No, they give out the fines. The fines now will increase to 7% of the price of the property. But the problem is, it's not being driven home. It's not being enforced properly. They, they, what they do is they put a 7% levy on the property for whatever is sold. But you've actually raised this in the housing committee, which I'm on in the oil. I want the Cox City Council and other local authorities to go in and compulsory purchase these properties. Take them off the landlords, tolerate the, the housing. C- City Council said that they end up getting legal challenged and it ends up going through courts and stuff and they're probably trying to track down the owners or they could be dead or overseas or nobody knows where the deeds are. They have all this to deal with, they said. Well, can I say, Neil, I know there's other councils, I think Waterford is one of them, where they've taken a zero tolerance in relation to vacant houses and derelict buildings. Like, why can't we do that? No, I know there's a cost involved. Well, what I believe, if you make one or two examples, if Cox City Council goes over aggressively, look at Normand Street, Neil. For the love of God, the condition in Normand Street, those buildings that nearly fell down a couple of years ago, and I was down there at the weekend, and they're still there. They're an absolute disgrace. Mm. And the same in Blackpool. Neil, there's houses in Blackpool. Long, they could be owned, but see, they could be owned by banks. They could have been repossessed. The banks could be sitting on them. Why are, this, well, why are we allowing banks to sit in properties when we have 5,200 people and families on the, looking for houses in Cork? And that's outside of the families that you're talking about who want to buy those houses. Let, let's sell those houses to people who want to buy them and do them up. Like, 
we're here now in Blackpool and there's dozens of properties boarded up at the moment yeah. or empty. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just one, just one final thing before you go. I got an interesting email in from Mary. She says, I listen to your show almost every day at work. I love the interaction of people on the air and the good laughs as well. In fairness, you've helped us through the last 12 months. Thank you for that. I work in the medical arena, the area of medicine, and we have worked through this pandemic since day one. And now we are currently giving the vaccine to elderly people. They're delighted to see the light at the end of the tunnel and give them time now to spread their wings. I know the CUH is the main hub for accident and emergency, but we have an ideal service up in the Mercy Urgent Care Centre in the orthopaedic grounds which is not used to its full potential it only it only has set hours and this could be used more in conjunction with cuh if somebody has a minor illness or an accident they should be triaged in the mercy urgent care center and treated there if it's a difficult case then refer them to the cuh mercy urgent care should have longer hours than they do currently south dock mercy urgent care center and the cuh should all work together they are not it would save time money and patient sanity that also is within your brief. How would you respond to that? Can I say, Neil, she's 100% correct. Unfortunately, I've had to use the urgent care centre both myself and my family when people had... Uh, my daughter broke her hand. Uh, I went up there. I, I had a few health issues last year where I had to go up there and see the electorate and see the RPs, children, or the RPs people up there. It's a fabulous service. Like, there's a lot of criticism in the HSC, but that source in the RPD is excellent. But is it underused? Neil, would you believe I actually have wrote to the minister uh, a number of weeks ago, or you've had consultations with doctors, surgeons, and other people who want to reopen the RPD hospital to take the pressure off of the Mercy and the, the CUH. Because of last, because last of, week there was some awful calls of people jammed up in the A&D. I know there are pods there and it's difficult, but like full up. Neil, unfortunately, I go to the CUH every second Friday and I go in the door where the accident mercy is and you see the people there. It's like we know we need extra capacity. St. Mary's campus has it. There's actually two theatres up there that have been lying idle for eight years and I know surgeons who want to reopen them and they've been in contact with me. I don't know how many people... I, I've cycled up there in the complex. It's enormous. I wonder if people realise how many empty buildings there are actually up there. It's astonishing. Yeah. No, and I said, Neil, there's a sling, a slant around it, which I often walk yeah. with my own family, yeah. especially during the lockdown. You could go up there and it was safe. Like, there was huge area for capacity up there. But what it comes down to is the HSC. Now, I've had talks with the HSC about bringing more services to the north side. And the reason for that, Neil, is to take the pressure off the CUH and the Mercy. If we, had in, if we expanded the services there, what we would do then is keep people away from the hospital. Keep them away from the hospital, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The South Dock is back, though, right? No, Neil, it's not. And I actually wrote to the minister. What's going on? That just, that just just keeps on seesawing. Neil, I, I, people are, I go to Dublin every week. And I'm going to Dublin tomorrow morning. And the first thing I do when I get to Dublin every week is I raise the issue of South Dark Blackpool. It's close 13 months now. And like people are saying to me, is he still on about South Dark? And I am because it's really important. And I don't think maybe... But why did I get correspondence three weeks ago saying great news, South Dock's being reinstated on the north side? Do you know why they did, Neil? Because I'm after bringing them to the PEC, which is the Public Accounts Committee, 
because Southwark got paid 7.3 million to provide the service and I believe they're in breach of their service level agreement. So is it the doctors don't want to do it? Well, Neil, they said no, they're going to reopen at the end of the month. But like, we still don't have a date. We have no confirmation that it'll be a full service. And that's why I rang the HSC, or contacted the HSC again last Friday. I'm looking for a definite guarantee because there's been loads of promises and loads of dates and nothing has happened. And until it's over, I won't be stopping. All right. Okay. What's the Zoom What's the Zoom call? Are you doing a, a Zoom uh, tonight with Donegal Lear at half seven. Is that What's that to do with mental health? Well, yes, we carried out a survey online there and over 530 people uh, uh, responded to it. And what we were asking people is about how are they finding the, the lockdown? 90% of people felt they had a really negative effect in their mental health because of the COVID restrictions and the lockdown. And we were asking people then questions like that. Uh, we've got a great response. We're holding an online meeting tonight at half to seven to discuss the survey, but also to talk to people. So if anyone would like to, to come along tonight and join in or just listen, they can contact us on social media or my office and we'll send out the link. And like one of the things were, um, 90% of people believe that their mental health, that the COVID-19 had a negative effect on our mental health. 90% of people believe there wasn't enough mental health services available through COVID. Yeah, it is like, so what this is, like, you know Irish people, Neil, you talk to the whole area of mental health was always a taboo subject. Now, thankfully, people are starting to be more open about it. And we believe there needs to be a conversation because, like, what we are saying, Neil, is, do you know how we had a surge capacity in the hospitals to deal with the pandemic? We're looking for a surge capacity now in mental health services because there are over 10,000 people waiting for phone calls to talk to people about their mental health and there are 2,500 children waiting for CAMS. We think this needs to be recognised as a crisis and we need to tackle mental health and support people. It's great to be in opposition though, isn't it? I mean, like it's going to be one heck of a day when Sinn Féin get into power because the way you're going, you claim you'll solve every single problem this country ever had. If that was possible, Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael would have done it way before you. No, can I say, Neil, we we can't solve all the problems, but we know for a fact that mental health... I put it this way, Neil. Last year, we spent 5.2% of the the, the health budget on mental health. Slaunch Care, which we agreed with all the political parties in the last government, we agreed 10%, and the World Health Organization says it's 14%. Like... We agree with all the parties that it should be 10%, but the government is still only at 5.2. Like, these are not, we are bringing forward suggestions, and people recognise that they'll work. But I put it this way, Neil, there's more interest, we believe that the Fianna Fáil and Fianna Gael are more interested in the big vested interest than all the people, and that's, that's the difference between us and them. Okay, tonight, half past seven, then, get either get on to your office or Donna Galera's office to get the link to the Zoom call. Half past seven tonight, all are welcome. Thanks for taking the call, Tommy. Cheers. I was too faint, long lad. Lines open at 1850-104-106. Back after the break. The Neil Prendival Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 1850-104-106. Text 0868-104-106. We had a good laugh reminiscing on Friday and amongst our conversations because we had been talking
talking about the airport and all this kind of stuff and whether or not Jumbo's got in or transatlantic flights. And I was away. I was living in Canada at the time and with people on the air saying that Jumbo's did come to Cork. There were charter Jumbo's that came in from New York back in the 80s, 88, maybe 89. Actually, it was 88. I think it might have been in the summer of 88. And uh, at the weekend then, Tom McCarthy of New York got in touch with me and said, no buddy of yours, Barry Toomey, was the man who organized them. Uh, back in uh, the 80s, back in 88. And uh, actually, Barry joins me by phone, and, and I do know Barry, I know him well, because when we would do programs out of out of New York for St. Patrick's Day, and I did three or four live broadcasts, he set up all of the flights, he did all of the uh, the logistics involved in getting us out there, getting the gear out there, and at one stage we brought a whole lot of listeners out to America as well. Anyway, Barry joins me by phone. Barry, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How so, are you? I'm well. So, actually, that was... July 88, was it? That was July of 1988, 30-something years ago, Neil, when I was a young boy. Yeah. <laughs> so you decided to charter a jumbo. To do what? Bring Cork people home for holidays, was it? Well, we had done just about every other airport in Ireland. We had done the usual Dublin, Shannon, Belfast, and we, we brought a couple into Knock and uh, even two into Tralee. So... There was another Cork uh, travel agent in New York with me, and we decided, well, why not give Cork a shot? So um, we uh, advertised the flight to Cork, and uh, unfortunately, we didn't fill it up to capacity, so we loaded it up with Shannon passengers, but the Shannon people never knew they were going to stop in Cork. <laughs> <laughs> we didn't tell them that. With all of those flights, because you say you did the other airports as well, were you testing the water maybe... For a regular flight or something? Well, we were into charters in those days. I, I don't think I don't think we could have managed a, a daily service. That was a bit too too much to, too far back in the eighties. Um, but um, we, when we used to bring the flight into Cork, we we had to what you call double hop it because the. Uh, you couldn't take off from Cork with a full passenger load and a full fuel load. So um, you had to stop somewhere on the way back. In, in fact, funny enough, on the way over, uh, I was sitting next to a friend of mine, Paddy McCarthy, and uh, we kind of nodded off. And about three hours later, we heard the pilot saying, we're landing now. And we said, God, that's the quickest transatlantic flight ever. And uh, we realized that he didn't have enough gas to get us to Cork, so he swung into Gander. In Newfoundland? <laughs> in Newfoundland. So the poor, old the poor old Shannon passengers, first of all, they didn't know they were going to Cork, but they sure as hell didn't know they were going to Gander. So he had to fill up with fuel in Newfoundland to get him across the Atlantic. We had to fill up there, and uh, three hours later, we landed in well, Cork. Well, a little birdie says some fella came on the plane looking for your credit card. Is that right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. Um, but we we did land in Cork uh, about three hours later, and, and we got a fantastic reception. The Lord Mayor was there, the Barrack Street Band. My 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 dear old father was there, and uh, the um, there was a huge amount of people in the terminal building, and I was I was waving up at them as if I was Nixon arriving in China, and. Um, <laughs> Well, you're and kind of they, thinking, wow, this is a great reception. 
I said, unbelievable, there were thousands there and, and uh, <laughs> you know, after I was acting like a fool waving up at them and they were probably saying, who's that idiot on the runway? <laughs> um, the girl from Marinta came over and tapped me on the shoulder and she said, Barry, I wouldn't get carried away. She said, it's a, it's a historic occasion, all right. And I said, I, I just can't believe the, <laughs> the amount of people who've come out to see me. And she said, Michael Jackson is arriving in half an hour. <laughs> So, so that, that took the wind out of my sails. So Michael Jackson was flying in half an hour later with Bubbles the monkey. That's it. That's it. But we, we, had, we had the last laugh on him because myself and another friend, we had imported a stretch Cadillac from the States. We thought we were going to make millions uh, doing weddings and things like that. And it was up in Dublin and we had it shipped down to Cork with the driver and it was parked up in the parking lot so I said to the driver go up and swing that car down in front of the terminal and we had an American flag and everything and when Jackson came out he thought it was for him <laughs> he had to go off into the minibus with the monkey <laughs> did he Did he make a go for the, the, the stretch limo he did? Oh, he did yeah but we got ahead of him <laughs> oh my so, god they were back in the day that was the start of it all because Certainly through the noughties, there was all sorts of planes being chartered, usually for rugby matches or soccer matches. Wasn't that the case? All those days are well gone now, though, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. The following year, we, we brought three more in. But at this time, fortunately, we had enough petrol to get to Cork <laughs> nonstop. <laughs> but, uh, it, was, it was great fun. Oh, man. It must have been some crack on that flight with the Cork load of people coming back. Some sing-song, I'd say. <laughs> Yeah, actually, it was, it, was, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't the, the, the height of luxury we get these days because myself and Paddy were up in the front row and uh, they had the, the beer cans in a little plastic container. So every time the girl walked down the middle of the plane to help somebody, myself and Paddy would reach out and grab a can. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, straight to confession for that. <laughs> I love the Jackson story, in fairness. The Barrick Street Band for Michael Jackson, not you. You're, are you retired yeah. now, Barry? Yeah, I, you know, when the, when the internet came in, uh, you know, we kind of specialised in Ireland and, and uh, we did a lot of business with their lingus and... Uh, Continental in those days, but and, and people would call you, and you you you, you established a clientele over the years. Travel agents years, would get your flight tickets back then for you. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. once the internet came in, uh, it changed all that, and um, as, as many travel agents all over the world saw. So uh, the writing was on the wall. Um, I packed up my bag and headed to, headed back to Cork. Imagine so, if you were a tour operator or a travel agent now. My God, the stress and anxiety levels would be through the roof. Absolutely. So, um, you know, happy to be back. I, I get back and forth. In fact, I, I was back there about two or three weeks ago and uh, out of Dublin to New York on an Aer Lingus flight. And I think there were 25 people on the 350-seater plane. Crikey. That's amazing. And... Uh, yeah. and um, on the way back, there was about the same. So, Jenny, Mac. Uh, Jenny. With the, you know, you had to have a PNR test done before you got on in, in New York. Uh, and they looked for it, of course, when you arrived. And, and rightly so. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. It, it does put, and you can only have it done uh, 
two days in advance. And when you arrive in Ireland, it has to be done three days prior, at least. So it's cutting it very fine. Do you think, just finally, do you think that there ever will be uh, an appetite or indeed enough customers out of Cork to the likes of New York or Boston or San Francisco? Do you ever think that would happen? Well, I'd like to see it. I mean, I, I travelled on Norwegian Air a couple of years ago uh, when they had the service from uh, Cork to Providence, Boston. And um, unfortunately, Shannon got the uh, got the service from Shannon to upstate New York. Yeah. And it would have been wonderful if we had that service because I think the service from Cork with a smaller aircraft, like the 737, which they were operating, could could have a a, a future, maybe but, once a week or something. Uh, that would create problems, I think, with crews. But um, I think uh, I think four four uh, starting off at three four flights a week and try and build it up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Who knows? But, uh, in, Who knows? This, uh, in, in this environment, it's hard to know. Speaking of environments, you're enjoying West Cork these days, are you? I'm down in Skull, Neil. Yeah. Um, I don't get down there too often. Uh, in fact, my last trip was on the bus to see a doctor down there. I think it was me, the driver. I called him the stage chauffeur. Um, <laughs> <laughs> because it was me and the driver. <laughs> that was it. So, oh, my um, God. Listen, it's great to catch up. Look after yourself. Thanks for sharing some of the reminiscences about the 1980s, particularly the okay, Jackson Neil. story. I love it. Mind yourself, Barry. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Great. Barry Toomey. So that was the reason behind the flight. That's the backstory to it. Thanks to everybody for getting involved in that one. Lines open at one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Just uh, staying with calls for now. Linda. Hello, Lee. Uh, you want to pick up my chat with Tommy Gould about South Dock and the North South Dock for the North Side? That's right, yeah. yeah. I'm actually living in Fardenry and my husband is disabled. He's in a wheelchair. He had a stroke there five years ago. I was auntie at the time. You're his and, carer um, then. Yeah. He has gout and he had an ulcer in his toe and he was in very bad pain on Saturday night. So I rang South Dock and she was telling me that I had to come out there and I was like, how am I supposed to get out there? I don't know how to find the place and had any drivers that could bring the medication to me. And she said they were too busy. So in the end, I just got into the car at half one in the morning and drove out, didn't know oh, where I was going. Oh, for God's sake. The secretary, now for a deuce, she rang me three times on the way out. And um, I was actually out by the Kinsale roundabout and I was practically nearly crying as I was the car. I didn't know where I was and guards pulled up alongside of me. And fair to them, they gave me guard escort out to... How did they know that there was something wrong? They just kind of pulled up alongside me and I was upset looking, I suppose, and I pulled down the window and I said, I'm actually trying to find South Dock. I said, I don't know where I'm going. I said, I'm actually leaving my husband at home and explained the situation. And they just said, look, we'll drive in front of you and just follow us out. And they brought me out there for those. That was a lovely thing to do. Yeah. It was great. Now, like, you know, I had left my husband here, like, and... He and you were just me. literally driving to South Dock to pick up meds? Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was doing now. Because he was in such bad pain and uh, I didn't know what else to do. And then when I realised then that they weren't down the end of the hill anymore, I'm only about two terraces up from them. And then I was like, oh my God, how am I going to find that place? I know, now, you know, I know. There's a case history of how important it is to keep things local, isn't it? Yeah. Did you yeah, contemplate yeah. an ambulance? Do you know, I didn't know what to do. It was afterwards. My brother said to me, why didn't you even get a taxi? You know, get the taxi to collect the meds and drop them home to you. I didn't think. 
Do you know? I didn't know what to do. Misfortunate man at that much, at, at, in so much pain at that hour he of the morning. Crying in the pain with the pain of what happens one in the morning. Oh, for God's sake! And I just had to leave him here and go out and get them. Do you know? So. And they were there when you got there. Oh, they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hopefully. They came straight out to me with the meds, and yeah. I got home. I knew how to get home. Then once I was kind of, they just told me just what way to go. Then on the way, so. I wouldn't be very. I wouldn't have a good sense of direction anyway. Like, well, if you know? you've never been there before, it's difficult to find it because it's a, yeah. it's inside an estate and it's away at it the is, back. That's and right, it's, and it's, it's way down the back. That's and right. it's also yeah, pitch dark when you're driving around the place. So how are you going to find it? I, mean, I just, would never have found it. It's a tiny dark, little yeah. door, you know. That's it, yeah. Yeah, I know. Okay, all right. Thanks for sharing that, Linda. Okay, it's, thank you, Neil. It's a reason, if any reason, were needed as to why there should be a South Dock uh, on the North Side, without a doubt. But again, they say it's the place that's heard the less, the the, the least. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Pick up the phone on one eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Just come back after the break. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. Eighteen fifty one zero four one zero six. Red FM. I still think it's very funny, Barry Toomey waving off at all of the people at the airport in the old airport when you could view down onto the tarmac and he waving up thinking the crowds were there to welcome the flight from New York and of course they were waiting for Michael Jackson <laughs> uh, on just another couple of shout outs here if you don't mind uh, Cork's most missed bar person definitely Barry O'Callaghan from Ford's Bar in Barry Street says Sharon Debbie O'Connor from the Toman Bar great barmaid and you'll never leave without a smile in her company says Jerry uh, Rita Hannigan Madeleine's Sports Bar says Pauline Josie McGrath the Chenet badly missed says Benny Fred Hackett a true gent in the KLM great man for the crack and the banter and overall a great host when you call in has to be in the mix says Darren as the best well, I suppose it has to be in the mix as uh, Cork's most missed bar person. Uh, Dave Kremen, without a shade of doubt, he knows everyone's name and what everyone's drinking. He has conversations with people from kids to the retired and is always accommodating to all walks of life. I've seen this firsthand myself at the Gallows Pub. He deserves every recognition. Dave Kremen, says Darren. Barry O'Callaghan from Ford's Bar, Barrick Street. Barry is friendly, helpful, a good laugh, and looks after his customers. He's also up for the cracks, says Finbar. Definitely all the staff and Fionbara on Douglas Street. Uh, so friendly and relaxing. The staff are amazing, especially Alan, the owner, says Angela. Avril Scully in the Keys Bar and Bantry. Most friendliest person, always with a smile on her face. Roy Healy in the Black Man Bar, says Neave. Robin Cray in the Joshua Tree, says Michaela. The Singing Barman. Uh, Lindley Murray at the Sh- on She Bean, says Amanda. Don Ellis by a Country Mile in Mox Bar. And there's pages and pages more. Do keep them coming. Text 0868104106 and I'll return to it tomorrow. I promise you that. But last word, for he deserves the last word and everything, is our very own Keith. Keith, good morning. Hey, how's it going? Now, we want to know what's the difference between something that's own branded or branded. And I was talking about biscuits or cakes or, yeah, you well, know, cola drinks. Instead of paying, say, two ninety nine, you could pay 69 certainly for a packet of biscuits. Anyway, what have you got? This is breakfast well, cereals. Yeah. I, got, I, I got the grandson there and yesterday morning, I only got no orders of it. And he said to me, are they all these um, Rice Krispies? I said, yeah. Why? He said, there's no snap crackle and pop off them. <laughs> then, look, I do the test here now, Dean. I'm going to put in on your hair now. All right. Well, what are you doing first? I, I, I have uh, all these rice krispies in the bowl. Get and the I just f- put a drop of milk in there. Get the phone right up next to it. Nothing. Silence. Nothing. Not, 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 no noise at all out of them. No, not a snap crackle and pop me. No, no, I didn't even shake in the morning. 
Taste them there and tell me if they're crunchy. I'm no teeth. Would you put in your false teeth if you're going on the radio, man? I can't wear them, you. Why not? I can't wear them. The way you said they look like a horse. When I put them in. <laughs> you know, the small and the smiling donkey you used to call me in the bear over it. <laughs> so do you, do you actually look better with no teeth in? I do. Mr. Gummy. Mr. Gummy. As the kid says, grander with no teeth. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'd love I'd love if you had a packet of the a box of the of the Kellogg's Rice Krispies alongside. You know, the- I get them and I try them tomorrow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'll talk to you tomorrow. He got no snap, crackle, or pop because he's no teeth in. Anyway, lines will stay open when we get off the air. One eight fifty one zero four one zero six. Tommy Gould is right. The government continue to abandon the north side. Literally, every investment you see is south of the river. I can't wait until Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil and the Greens call to my door looking for votes. Not everybody agrees. Michael and Bally Valance says, "Why can't Sinn Féin on the north side come up with their own ideas?" They watch Ken O'Flynn the whole time. Ken O'Flynn was hopping up and down over the lack of investment in the north side as part of the four hundred and fifty million city plan. Ken has been pushing for Blackpool Village regeneration also, says Michael in Ballyvalan, saying that Sinn Féin copy Ken O'Flynn. And then with other branded goods, 500 ml spray can of lubricant oil in Aldi um, works out at €2.86, whereas the WD-40, and there's no difference, is €13.50. I'm sure people will come up with an example or will come back with the argument that WD-40 is better than any lubricant on the entire market. But that's for another day. Um, And also, lots more coming in on deposits and lots more coming in on houses and issues like that. And we'll pick up on those uh, first thing in the morning. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 1850104106. If you have a story to share, you can do so by email. Neil at redfm.ie. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. Thanks for listening to this Red FM podcast. Don't forget to subscribe and check out redextra.ie for more great Red FM content.